La 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 la. La 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 la. Are the microphones going into the phone from the wire, or do we need to... La 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 la. No, no, she's just... She's going to... She can hear us through the ambient air. Like a phone La la la. La 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 la. Johnson's world. La la la. We're playing the intro. I know you can't hear it. Red tabbies are cool. La 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 la. La 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 la. Johnson's world. La 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 la. La 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 la. Hey everybody, this is John Sess World and you are uh, you are listening to the Circle Jerk of Stupid. <laughs> Accuracy in media. I uh, I've i fired Sean and Kevin for the day. Uh, so they're not getting their paychecks this week, and I have hired uh, Dex and Isabella Kaminska, uh, who will be co hosting with me and talking about uh, things that are irrelevant and relevant and Bitcoin related and non Bitcoin related, and uh, and I think it'll be a pretty bad show. So, <laughs> which is always what we're going for. One star. You know, we still have one star, but I saw some people, some asshole, rated us five stars in the Apple iTunes store. Oh, there's, a, you, there's always are you a troll somewhere. Aiming for one son. <clears throat> are you aiming uh, for one star? Yeah. Isabella, if you I if see. you strive for greatness, you'll never achieve it. But if you strive to be the worst, <laughs> uh, that's that's a goal that I can get behind. And you know what they talk about the the top one percent. No one's ever talked about the worst one percent. And I, I think that that probably gets you into Harvard too. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm looking forward to being canceled. So you're on. Well, yeah. Well, you're here to be canceled. Uh, you're on the lowest rated show in Bitcoin, <laughs> and frankly, on iTunes. I think if iTunes had like a reverse uh, reverse podcast lookup where you could like do it by rating and just reverse it, we'd get a lot more listens because we'd be at the top of the bottom of the list. Yeah, yeah, I see your logic. Right, Quoth the Raven mm-hmm. has uh, has stolen your concept. By the way, has he? Do you know who he is? Yeah, I, I like yeah. that guy. Yeah, he's great. That he, guy is now a... he's pulling the rate me one star shtick, and we're going to have to give him a talking to. Why? Why would you, you know, he can take it. It's fine. He won't be able to be. He, no, we'll he, have to send him a cease problem, and desist. His problem is that he spent too much time uh, striving for greatness. Right. I've always well, asked. We'll just for one tell star. our entire audience to go rate his show five stars. That's and, right. And oh, that's actually great. Okay, everybody listening, go <laughs> everyone to quote go the rate Raven. QTR five stars and get his get him adjusted. And Isabella, I I, <laughs> I want to make sure if you ever rate us, uh, make sure it's rated one star because that's the top. This show is is maybe good enough for one. It would be better if they had less rating available, but they don't. <laughs> can't do like half a star. So uh, it's a fantastic theory because, like, basically, the worst thing you can be is like mediocre, like three. Yeah, stars so you got to be just the your, worst. Your, <laughs> yeah. Branding okay. is everything. Well, also, like, I think, like, in betting, they say if you try to lose every week, it's just as hard as trying to win every week. Yeah, yeah. So Fair I think enough. that I think that it's just as hard to be one star as it is to be five stars. You're literally, it's, this is the embodiment of the film Brewster's Millions, isn't it? Yeah, well, here's the other, <laughs> <laughs> here's the other thing, the real, the real assholeness of it. If someone hates the show, uh, they can only indicate it in two ways. And one is to rate us one star like everybody else and look like a sarcastic person, or to ruin it and rate us five stars, which will hurt them. <laughs> So you invert, it's, it's actually very interesting. It's very interesting game theory in 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 a weird way. You invert the psychology. So there should be there should be some models being yeah. developed. 
Well, I keep wondering I like if Apple's going to go through their it's lowest a Nash rated catastrophe shows. Catastrophe yeah. is what it is. <laughs> I wonder if Apple's going to go through their like worst rated shows and be like, "This one's out and this one's out," you know, and uh, one day just purge us. But that's okay. If they do, it's not like anyone listens, anyways. But uh, I, I wanted to start. Uh, this is an unusual show because Dexter has actually put together these things called notes, which uh, we've we've had before. <laughs> but Sean got real lazy, so we stopped having them, and now we have them again, and that's kind of uh, throwing me off. But I did want to get, before we run out of phone batteries or anything like that, Isabella, I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your conversion recently, which actually is related to, I think, the last thing on our note. I was oh, just yeah? saying, do you have a plug for the Oh, phone? I have a plug, but when I plug it in, it goes like that. Do you have a Q charger? I don't know what that, oh, uh, yeah, that's worse. <laughs> it just adds feedback. Uh, if, if, it, it, if it runs low, I'll plug it in. But then at that point in the show, it'll go the whole time, which will be annoying because then Isabella's beautiful voice won't be. Continue, please. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to talk. You, you wanted to come on and talk a little bit about your conversion recently, your COVID conversion. And then I thought we could do the notes. And I know you're not apprised of the notes, um, but who cares? You can just follow along and comment. You're a limey anyway. So. I can add lip. I, I can, yeah. Dexter, I, I Dexter, can hates, Dexter hates Limeys. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Especially Limey journalists. Oh, <laughs> uh, Limey journalists are the worst. <laughs> I know. I have a sweet spot for British like Marxists. Those are really the ones I detest the most. So. What, the ones who work for The Guardian? <laughs> well, all of them, but and, uh, maybe them especially. And what's the male one? The... the uh, the one with all the advertisements the on their web page. Daily Mail. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't call I wouldn't call them Marxists. They're they sort of just in the populist core populist category. They'll just tell the crowd whatever they want to hear. Inter- I thought their main thesis, uh their main like, you know, uh ethos was advertising. Because <laughs> that's all yeah, get yeah, one yeah. Other um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it's clickbait and that's why they're popular. They're like the populist rag, they'll just go with the flow, whatever stimulates enough outrage or, you know. I found that my life was vastly improved from a stress standpoint when I just added Daily Mail and Telegram, all of them to my host file on my computer. So anytime I clicked a British link on Drudge, it just, I get a white screen. <laughs> because your first, Drudge mistake, started, your first mistake is using Drudge. Well, Drudge started phoning it in, right, a couple of years ago, and it just became nothing but British clickbait. And I was like, this is really, like, why do I still go here? And it's just muscle memory. Yeah. And so then I tried to condition myself by sending all the British uh, tabloids to the host files. Well, so. well I've known Isabella British, for really... British click- British clickbait is like a, a new sort of sinister form of colonialism. We've, we've kind of <laughs> yes. inflicted it upon you without you even realizing it and grabbed your Can I ask you, you know, a question, actually, about the, the structure of the articles is so inane sometimes because it seems like there's nine paragraphs that are basically all restatements of each other. What is that? Where did that come from? Like, is that like, is, is it just like everybody writes a paragraph and they slap it together and print? Or is like one writer just keep writing basically the it's, same it's kind of, story thesis over and over again to fit between all the damn that, ads? Don't you get that? It's, don't you get that in like the Inquirer and stuff? I mean, it's, it's, a, like, it's, it's exaggerated a, like, though. In the, it, it's, it's 
I mean, the Daily Mail is probably a higher caliber than whatever the red one is. Like, I don't know. <laughs> the red one. Yeah, isn't the there? Sun. A... The sun or the, or the yeah. mirror. But, the, I mean, it is a legacy of tabloid-esque sort of composition where yeah. you just re- you bullet point it and you kind of you want to do the big sensationalist headline and you grab the key point because you're, you're, you're operating on a very short <laughs> short, short bandwidth, so you have to grab everybody's intention and tell them the story in bullet points, and then assume maybe like 20% of people will continue reading on. Right. There you so go. It's, it's a form of, it's just a form of like getting the key points into your head. It's, it's all propaganda, like it's all mechanism. <clears throat> when I say propaganda, I mean like, you know, it's a mechanism to get the key points. It's It's, it's, it's very different to say you know, when when we we do Western journalism, it's all about that the story has to get um, sort of communicated to you in the first two paragraphs. Whereas, say, more authoritarian style news from say communist times or whatever would be the other way around. They'd force you to read right to the bottom to get to the point. So, who gets to pick so the this... ideas these days? Is it still the commissar calling in on the? Uh... The fact. <laughs> in the Daily Mail. Yeah. In the Daily Mail. I, I, the I, exchequer. I don't have any insight. So, uh, insight into Daily Mail. So I've, I've known Isabella for a while. She, uh, she and I first met when I, uh, I think I said something mean about uh, Eugene Fama's butt, and, and you didn't like that. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I may have complimented I really liked it. your interview. I, I really liked your original uh, interview with Fama. I thought... I, I remember listening to it and going, wow, how did these guys get farmer to talk to them? Um, and I thought your actual sequence of questioning was really good. Nice. Hear that? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we, we got in touch then. She came on uh, Bitcoin Uncensored back in the day. And she originally started as kind of a critic of Bitcoin. And I think over the years, uh, at least through our friendship and, and as, I've, as I've spoken to you many times, your, your thinking on Bitcoin has evolved. And it's reached new lows here during COVID. Yeah, I mean... you become your dumbest, say, dumbest cause form. You, cause <laughs> Why has she become pro-Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah. Conversion. Uh-huh. You, you say conversion, but you see, I don't think I've adapted my view that much. It's just my view hasn't changed. It's the world around me that has changed so significantly that has made, you know, sometimes it's like... Um, I think the main thing that has changed is I still think... You see, my general worldview is that everything is corrupt, corruptible. I'm just generally very pessimistic about everybody, and I'm very cynical, and I see like the potential for corruption in everything. So one thing that used to bother me a lot with the Bitcoin rhetoric was this very idealistic, this is a solution, you know, blah, 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 it's going to solve, you know, world famine and whatever. And it was extremely hyperbolic. And my instinct as a cynic is just continuously to kind of scrutinize something because that's the way real science and I think real journalism is supposed to work is that you you're supposed to scrutinize something and if it still defies if it gets through your your critique and still withstands it well then that proves you know that means well that's more solid than you appreciated whereas I think a lot of journalism today is the other way around so you're kind of pushing things I mean it really depends what who you're reading but but generally there is a sort of confirmation bias that you say, you know, you look to see why something's brilliant rather than the other way around. So right. so all I would say is in terms of what has changed is that 
I still think everything is corruptible, and I'm still of the opinion that, like, you know, Bitcoin has some very shady sides to it. But I'm kind of more kind of at ease with its malevolent bits because the my trust in the core system has just gone to such zero levels that even a flawed system is better than the. I mean, it's it's, it's all it's all equal. It's all leveling of of you know my my. My, expect- my expectations of the old system were never good, but they've gone really, really low. <laughs> so She's ready in for, that context, for hookers and coke money. <laughs> hookers and coke money. I mean, it, it is in interesting, context- though. Like, would you do you do you view COVID as sort of a, a resetting of the system? Because, like you said, the old system. So, like, I mean, like you it is a new system, reset. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of is, right? It's, um, it seems yeah. to be using being used as that. Look, I, it, my, I am just, you know, I'm transparently a lockdown skeptic, and I've just been extremely disappointed with how people have crushed debate and how people have crushed any capacity for people to critique or, or you know, um, question whether the policy that is a policy that is so harmful on so many levels is the right one. And it's not even, you know. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not a scientist I'm not an epidemiologist but I just I'm a journalist my job is to ask questions so it bothers me when you can't ask questions because there's a sort of crowding out of any legitimate discourse by people who just you know tell you you're a granny killer and I find that very very <laughs> stressful. So how many and, grannies have um, you killed today? <laughs> Probably a thousand grannies. And the UK's um, gone. But, the UK's gone kind of ballistic on this all as well. Like with that's the UK's gone insane. I mean, I think other countries have also gone insane. But like in recent months, they like the more progress we do with the vaccine, the more strict the lockdown is getting. And um, there's all sorts of like there's like <laughs> zero COVID cults that's come about. Like there are people who just seem to have a lockdown fetish it's very strange like people who are virtue signaling about wearing 15,000 masks on their face <laughs> until they can't breathe I I find this all like I I don't want that to be the new normal I I, I I'm I'm very anti it and and I appreciate and I'm not a COVID denier before anybody says that I'm not I just had COVID so I literally like I can't deny it. it was it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't the worst. And I appreciate that it's um, different for different people. So I had a very mild version. And you know the way I would describe it is I, it felt like a hangover, but um, like a bad bad hangover. But um, you know I'm not a denier of it at all by not by any stretch. But I do think proportionality. And just evidence-based thinking has gone out the window. In that context, I think we have created an economic situation that is so money printer go bruh that, <laughs> like, what what broke I, my Bitcoin, what, what broke me here in the U.S. is the fact that the Trump administration said that we were going to do 15 days to slow the spread, and it yeah. gave governors all over America the chance to basically sink their teeth into like permanent lockdowns and there was nothing the yeah, president could do total, about it. Nothing. There was a total bait and switch as well. Like I, we had the same rhetoric in the UK, three weeks to flatten the curve to save the NHS. And then three weeks became one month and then two months. And I, I knew this was happening because like 
three days before lockdown started, I, I was I was um, for the hell of it because I knew this was coming. I knew they'd go mental. Um, I went to a garage. Now, at the time, I was quite frightened because I did. I, I had like been I had been watching the propaganda out of China and the people kind of keeling over and and I really did kind of like think oh my god you know I I was the most overreacting person ever I bought all the masks I bought all the gloves I even bought goggles I was ready for it right because at the time you really didn't know how it was like swimming be. swimming goggles <laughs> you know, like the uh, science go- you know the it was ridiculous. oh like the, okay yeah, the big all- ma- the goggles the science goggles okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's I the thought, triumph of neuroticism. Like it's we've, you know, I, I, I'm with you as like not being a denier. But the question isn't whether COVID exists. It's our reaction to COVID is such a synthesis of neuroticism in individuals and a tendency of people in power to want to increase their power. And some of these reactions are clearly things that have been pre-gamed and have you know they have a lot of plans sitting on the shelf of course um, and and, um, like and this say, has given them a chance to pull everything off and go oh we can do this i'd too. like i'd like to say that i am a covid denier <laughs> okay <laughs> okay well i have to distance myself from that. <laughs> well just six feet speech. though just the same speech just six feet though right <laughs> no i mean like i i think it's interesting that you have that that, that you feel compelled to tell everyone that you're not a COVID denier. I mean, you too, right? Like, who's who's denying COVID? I've never <laughs> I've never met anyone, and yet there's this. Uh, well, this that's notion. the mechanism by which the control is is. Oh, but, but it, it's a mechanism of control, exactly, because it shuts down any legitimate debate. I get continuously accused of being a COVID denier, and it's ridiculous. It's I'm, not, I'm a it's Nazification. Like, everybody's a Nazi, right? Everybody's a COVID denier. Everybody's a label of the other that you can use to deny I mean, them the right to debate anything. I mean, that's, I'm a, that's the culture I'm a, of I'm a COVID cancellation. Denier. I'll do right? it. I, I'm jumping full on in. COVID doesn't exist. Don't care. There you go. <laughs> no, but I, I, I mean, that's, it's been astounding to me. And Florida down here, I mean, we're in Florida. We, DeSantis, our governor, has done like nothing. <laughs> he just, you know, and, and we're pretty fine. And we have the oldest population yeah, of old I people. Mean, that's what I find hilarious about Florida is you do it's not like you're short of old people. I mean, this isn't really a conversation but you know, about Bitcoin, but I do think it's I think it's relevant in the sense that everyone panicked and everybody did exactly the worst thing, like all the pandemic flu plans that they'd ever created when they were all calm and normal went out the window and they all just went, Right, we've got to do what China they were led by public opinion and it was public opinion that was effectively um influenced from china and people thinking that that's a norm that should be you know applied in a in in our own democratic state despite there being absolutely no evidence for isabel do you remember the sort of the fumigation trucks that was the moment for me that was the most preposterous like when i saw people falling down i was like i didn't know what to think of that i was like wow this could be a really bad you know this hypoxia sets in they faint okay um then you saw that the one or two carefully uh, repeated um, welding people into their apartments, but there were only about three videos of welded doors, you know, with the frames. And so you were like, <laughs> you say that so calmly. Like, like, well, well, no, I, I noticed, I noticed, I, I noticed, video. no, listen, I noticed immediately that there weren't 50 different videos to, to look at. And that made me think, oh, this is a thing. This is a shtick. 
And then they rolled out the fumigation trucks. And I'm like, what, did they just build these? Like, where they're obviously like mosquito control trucks or something. And then they, like, what were they spraying? Remember, they're like driving down yeah, the yeah. main I, highway. I, I always assumed it was like banana oil. Yeah, and it's just like, <laughs> what is this total when nonsense? Would, when people would get off the airplane and they'd like spray them with the like chemi- the the like what is it the grass? And, and at that point, what I thought was, <laughs> oh, this is a really bad flu-like event. China's really freaked out about it. They're worried it's going to shut down their economy, and they want to make sure our economies get hit hard so that they don't get it at a disadvantage. That was the first thing I thought of because, A, that's the way the Chinese play the game. Racism. Yeah. Um, they're, they're smart. They're rational actors, right? They see themselves like, oh, this could disadvantage us. We need to export that disadvantage. And that's was my take on that whole thing. Well, I was all right away. I was like, "This is going to cost us a lot of money. We got to cancel our debt to them." <laughs> very much. Yeah. Well, where I, I went. remember having that conversation with you. It was quite interesting. But um, no, I mean, I do think that they normalized in through Twitter, through social media, a response that would never have been seen as legitimate. And then what happened is that because the politicians are just led by public opinion and, and, and polls, um, and actually I would say health and safety culture. So I, I think the politicians were pushed by public opinion, but then also by corporate standpoints, because really the people who forced lockdown upon us weren't the politicians, at least in the UK. It was the corporations that started going, oh, we're sending all our offices home because, like, we've had an outbreak and, like, one person at Goldman Sachs is ill. Therefore, we have to shut the entire trading floor and everyone's going to work from home from now. And so it was actually the kind of corporate liability side of it that pushed um, everyone's maximum sort of, you know, de-risking of any potential liability and then normalized COVID and um, lockdown from the perspective that the government was like, well, actually, maybe we can get away with what China did. Who knew? Um, and and now we have this, like, complete, like, about, like, risk. Our perception of risk and risk analysis has just, like, been so skewed. It's frightening. And, um, you know, I, I'm really worried that we will never get back to a sort of healthy risk well, I, um, I do, analysis approach. I do think that, like, there is there's a Bitcoin, co- you know, correlation here, too, though, Isabel. Because, like, the thing that struck me was that in the middle of the pandemic, the thing that really got you was sort of just the inability for the system to heal, I think, and mm-hmm. the craziness of it. And then all of a sudden, one day, I get... This message in my telegram. She's like, okay, <laughs> I got to come on the show and tell people that uh, I don't hate Bitcoin anymore. <laughs> well, I just, well, no, because I, I want to be honest. And, like, to be honest, you know, I am, tra- I try to be as transparent as possible. And it's not, I think what I underappreciated about Bitcoin is that, it, and I wrote a column about this, so I'm quite transparent, is that I miss that it is effectively a end of the world hedge. <laughs> yes. And and that I think has value. Now my my previous view was 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 skewed by the fact that I just I didn't think that like the system could be that you know, for want of a better word, like that fucked up. That I didn't really, think that, that really we could surprises all lose me of all, of all people though, because like I it seems it seems to me like like what okay, what what has struck me as interesting about all of this is the unmasking and unblanketing of like massive globalist sort of rule 
Like all well, of these countries see, suddenly, like you know, marching in lockstep together, you know, making sure that they're coordinating things, and and not in the usual way I would think of coordinating, but like, hey, no, like the 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 Great Reset. Let's all talk about that. Great. Like Justin Trudeau brings it up, like right after it's released by the World Economic Forum. Um, you know, Biden literally adopts the World Economic Forum's uh, "Build Back Better" as his slogan for running for office. You know, and there's all sorts of these things that just seem like there's. It, it feels more like things are coordinated than I ever would have wanted to acknowledge. Or they just are very unimaginative people and Could like be. copy each other. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, like, that's, I think, uh, just a- the, the scariest possibility is that these are exactly the dullards you think they are. Yeah. And given a real crisis, they're freaked out. And the first thing they do is pull the dumb... You know, what was previously just like a marketing convention of of just stupid crap that they all repeat. Now it's the template for everything happening in the world. Like there's a there's a type of person who's convinced that this was all planned in advance to the last degree because Bill Gates had his, you know. There are those people. There are a couple, <laughs> maybe one or two in this room. Not um, me. Not me. Um, but, you know. There's people do scenarios all the time, right? And they just now we're we're living in a scenario response drill where they don't validate any of the premises, right? You know, we don't. It's, it's true. It's also interesting that the scenarios, uh, the responses to the scenarios, seem to continually fail and perplex everybody. Whereas, like for example, right now, as as these mutations come out, I'm like, yeah, that's like virus 101. How did nobody see mm-hmm. mutations? How, how did no one foresee well, yeah. that? <laughs> well, and they're, they're selecting the strongest strain by having all these multiple vaccines coming out. And obviously mm. what's going to happen is that's going to provoke the, the selection of the strain that is completely <laughs> is the one that, you know, we actually, I think one of the reasons we're doing so well here in Florida is that everybody comes here and we're retards. And so I imagine, especially the women and yeah, I imagine that we have every strain in existence, just, just churning together in a giant typical Floridian Petri dish. And we probably all have cross immunity. And what, what, what the policy of this nation now is going to be is to basically vaccinate with multiple manufacturers against multiple strains, all that's going to do is select the one strain that is impervious to all the vaccines, which is then going to be the dominant strain. And that's what Bill Gates wants. Right. That's the population reduction <laughs> plan. <laughs> it's good that everybody's an expert, though, now. You know, I, I find I don't have any problems finding experts in virology. Um, everyone who has yeah, a phone a Twitter is, is an expert. <laughs> all, of my, all of my friends are We're became... blessed, I think, by this neo-expert stack that we can all just, you know experience all of my all of my friends became experts in virology when this started i like my favorite thing was uh hearing people talk about r naught at the beginning of all of this oh, yeah, and, yeah. and my yeah. first question to everybody like i'd look at them i go okay here's a piece of paper write r naught on this piece of paper do it and no one could do it <laughs> We um, we formulated uh, our sub-zero. It's a specific type of zero, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, but they don't even know that the not means zero. Like, they're just like, are not. It's like a, an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> an Argonaut. It's a Australian or a, a Russian astronaut. And 
<laughs> or whatever. What's an Argonaut? Well, Which we didn't that? have that it's problem. Jason so, oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> That's really weird because usually you guys say zero. You guys usually say zero and we say naught. And, like, for some reason, we were all zero on this one. It's probably because a lot of this theory was, like, out like, of King, total... King's College and stuff like that. Like, you guys had the best virologists yeah. into, in, into the 18th century. I mean, Edward Jenner is is British, unfortunately. <laughs> should have been American. It's because we exported all our viruses to kill off all the indigenous populations of all the countries. Yeah, you guys are big genociders. We, um, colonized. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was... Um, Guns, germs, and steel, as they say. Um, but it's, um, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, Florida is an interesting counterexample. And for me, um, yeah, you're right, like strains. We knew this was going to happen. I'm not, I'm definitely not a scientist or an epidemiologist. I can barely do times tables. So <laughs> I'm not going to try and, you know, outsmart anyone on that front. You I know, look at a what table. I... Just Google something and you're an expert. Am, it's good. <laughs> I I am more interested, like when I analyze these things, I'm not so much looking at the substance, but at, at the mechanics of how, you know, my, my core like interest throughout, you know, my professional life has been sort of finance, but also propaganda and news media and how the, you know, how narratives are formed and, and, and created. And what I find interesting is how the, the the message is, you know, it's the medium, not the message from, from my perspective and how it's communicated. And that is what I observe and which guides me. And as a contrarian, I'm just always generally a contrarian because I find it is effective to, you know, continuously second, second guess yourself. That's how, you, how I learn personally. And so when everyone was sort of dismissing this as, oh, don't worry, it's nothing, it's something in China, I was panicking, buying all my goggles and being over the top about it. But then as soon as everybody overreacted, I then was like, oh, no. Did, did anybody, did anybody so, notice that's literally what happened on the conservative side too? When they said, don't buy masks, conservatives said, I'm buying tons of masks. And then they started yeah, saying, yeah. you have to wear a mask. And conservatives were like, fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I, I watched definitely... a lot of smart people pick up on the the zeitgeist of the whole thing very early and over prepare, and then as it progressed, and that they had like you know reality tested the thing, and then observed enough official behavior being contradictory, they were like, all right, this is not what they say it is. And I mean, I'd include myself uh, in that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, the two of us actually were were talking about this, frankly, mid January about uh, mid-January of last year about, like, what we should be doing here. Because we were seeing videos, I was yeah. seeing videos come out of China that were like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, and it was... Well, I think at that point, that's why, like, I'm, I'm prepared to forgive the original lockdown because we didn't know, we had no idea how, you know, it looked pretty severe. <clears throat> but now we have the data, we have, like, the, you know, unless the mutant strain goes completely rogue, it's really not, like what we it's not killing children it's not really killing young people we have better understanding of, of the therapeutics as well which are you know unless it's hydrochloroquine or whatever the hydroxy hydroxychloroquine ventilators <laughs> can't talk about that one no you oh, oh, no 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 you can't even say that well, yeah, but the the see in I don't know I've in just cancelled your journals. podcast by saying it yeah no <laughs> Apple's going to delete us 
Oh well, no. We we have actually um, rehabilitated hydroxychloroquine has, in the it US. It has quietly in, become a therapeutic. In very that's valid, used. you know, medical journals were now saying it's a perfectly acceptable therapy and yeah. and, and yet it cannot be reported. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Because it was all. Well, this is this is what worries me. It's not so much about the substance; it's about the mechanism of the media machine and how uh, the repression of, of of questioning and and of, of well, actual debate. Who, 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 who imagined that Donald Trump got up, you know, one night on a Diet Coke binge, got onto PLOS or or El Sevier or one of these sites, and he found an article you know, a journal article <laughs> on hydroxychloroquine. And then the next day it was like, you know, this is what we're going to do. And therefore we have to reflexively be against it. Right. But that's what happened, except for the first part. What really happened is someone said, well, there's a couple therapies, Mr. President. And French, he's like, all right, is it that one? Do it. Well, there's a, there's a French scientist who seems to have some had some and, good success and, and with this one called hydroxychloroquine. Trump, Trump exaggerated the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine. And then our dingbat retarded idiot that's the r word media my god we're violating so many rules they all just immediately go to their anti-trump if trump then no and they they turn this into like a witch hunt of anyone talking about a valid therapy that had been cited by fauci in previous articles about other coronaviruses and i'm just watching this go down and i'm like are is everybody gone mad like we don't know well, anything about, you know, <laughs> SARS-CoV-2 specifically, but we do know things about this family of viruses. And when you know nothing, the first thing you do is go look for the predicates and say, look, this is our short list yeah. of stuff that works in this family. We're going to try this short list first because let's rule these out. If they don't work, we know we're properly fucked. But if some of them kind of work, we know we're kind of in the same zone that we've been down before with these other coronaviruses like the original SARS. But we we yeah. abandon scientific thinking because we're lost in mass communication, which is incapable of communicating any sophisticated ideas whatsoever. And I blame journalists for that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, look, I, no, but I blame, I blame journalists, and I'm a journalist, and I find it really disturbing. And I think the reality is, this is I think there are lots of journalists like me who are quite appalled by what's going on, and they're in the MSM. It's not like, I think they are, are relatively appalled, but they are under, like, I think there is a certain peer pressure, and I think there's a sort of fear of, of you know, standing at, putting your head above the parapet and, and possibly kind of getting cancelled or having like. Well, a you guys pile still read or, books and stuff, so that's cute in England, but like here, we don't have journalists. We don't have any literate people uh, who, who do this stuff. Dex and I disagree on this one. I think there are some legitimate journalists, even in the US. They're just rare. I, I, I think just that, it, like when Isabella comes over to visit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like to me, the only journalists who literally know how to do the job in America are, are here on a tourist visa. Well, I'll tell you what, like, uh, I, I find, I think it's interesting because like Isabella, you describe yourself as a contrarian. I, 
I don't describe myself as a contrarian, but others have described me as a contrarian. <laughs> no one describes you as anything else. <laughs> you're such a contrarian. You're such a contrarian that you can't even describe yourself as a contrarian. Yeah, fu- fuck labels, you know? No, it's it, you know, it's funny because I don't think of myself as a contrarian. I think of myself as someone who like cares a- about truth and like and and that always seems to come out as a contrarian because like for example, I think Dr. Fauci is a moron. And I think that because of all the evidence, and I can I can you know tell you the evidence. It's that every two weeks he comes out with a thing that's different than the thing he said two weeks ago, and the thing he ends up at is the thing that I was at two weeks ago. And I'm not a doctor. How did I get there first? And then he just literally parrots whatever the media is saying. Well, I think I think what we kind of rational journalist type people um, completely overlook is that just because you are a scientist or someone who has extreme sort of uh, kudos in a specific area or whatever, um, that doesn't make you immune to peer pressure or bullying or to kind of uh, madness of crowds. Well, well, more than, I think everyone more than that is susceptible to it. When did, we start, when did we start thinking that like government scientists were like the creme de la creme of science? Well, a, yes, I wouldn't, you know, and also I think in terms of like, um, you're right. I mean, absolutely. I mean, private sector ones should be more competitively, right. you know, <laughs> like the, the, the government scientist, I mean, he's, what is he? He's paid like 480000 a year, which is kind of astounding, I think is what I read. But government I, scientists, I don't think that like I would, I, I would not want to go to a government scientist for much data, I would think, unless it's NASA maybe. Well, I mean, listen, well, we, we do have know, competent uh, people in government. I'm not the, saying we the don't. Question, like, the, the question that he's like with, competent with our reaction, competent. But listen, with Fauci, the real question to ask is, so we, you know, I don't know what the, the corresponding uh, bureaucracy inside the NHS is, but in the United States, we have the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They're normally the agency that would be tasked with this. But instead, we've put the national... Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease in charge. Now, COVID's mm-hmm. an infectious disease, but you know the CDC has historically been the one that's coordinated with the state-level health departments um, because we don't have yeah. a national public health infrastructure in the United States. We have the CDC who coordinates with all the state you know, departments of health. And so far, you know, what we might have a tuberculosis outbreak somewhere. It's been good enough because they have really good communication. But through all of this, Fauci, what's interesting about all of this is the CDC did screw up the initial testing reagents, and that's a fact, and that's verifiable. And I think what happened is Trump got so pissed off at them that he put Fauci in charge. And then, because he was a dick to Fauci, all the journalists and the Democrats became incredibly protective of Fauci. And now we're in a situation where the wrong guy is in charge, or more the point, the wrong agency. And I think you're going to see the Biden administration like suddenly realize, like, dude, why isn't the CDC in charge? Like, we have a, like, what is going on? Who's going to realize that, Biden? He's kind of a... No, the people who have their, you know, hands up his ass and the ventriloquist yeah. dummy. <laughs> Operators. Oh uh, yeah. No, I, I do think I, I think it's I, I do think it's interesting. Like, yeah, Fauci, Fauci doesn't know what he's doing in this position, and it's very obvious if you just watch him for a week or two, and it, he's just out of his depth. 
I mean, I don't know. I haven't been following him that closely. And he's become yeah, a celebrity he's... in America, Isabella. It's it's he's creepy. a celebrity in research you know, know, already. Know, That's what I know, his deal is. I know he's become a celebrity because I have friends who are buying Fauci dolls. Oh. So um, yeah, that they be good Jesus. for your collection. My, no, that's, beanie things, babies Josh. are not. Fauci dolls are not beanie babies. <laughs> but I just love. I mean, we don't have corresponding Chris Whitty dolls, not yet. <laughs> or maybe they exist. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but I don't know if you saw. You see, there was a. We have like our equivalent is Chris Whitty, and he is um, extremely calm, very you know tenacious, very very kind of like very English cliche British sort of keep you know, stiff up a lip sort of thing. And, um, and I just find dead. it interesting because even, <laughs> even he is like, you can find contradictions in everything he said. Like, they're constantly contradicting themselves. themselves. And I guess what I was going to say is that, I mean, I don't think it's a conspiracy. I just think it's like, I think there's just a general chasm of, of insufficient data. Well, the, the they thing... don't really know what they're doing. They, they're a little bit like... Um, you know, influenced by peer pressure and what other countries are doing. And they're all, you know, showing off because, you know, Italy did it, so we've got to do it even better and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and then meanwhile, what is being lost is the capacity to, to question these people. They've kind of asserted right. themselves. Well, as sort th- of so that was where I was going to go with the dictatorial, whole... Dictatorial style sort of... I mean, that's what's scary is is how they can make these proclamations and no one is questioning them. And we had an incident a couple of weeks ago in the UK where um, Chris Whitty was standing outside and some guy comes up to him and it, he starts filming him and um, immediately Chris Whitty sees the camera and puts his mask on. Even though he's standing outside in the UK, you don't have to wear a mask outside. And the guy's like, you're a liar. You're a liar. Chris Whitty <laughs> lying about the COVID. And he's like some geezer dude. And um, anyway, the whole thing went viral. And the establishment just like rallied to the defense of Chris Like, How could he like this was like hate speech? And, you know, how could you possibly like, how could you, you know, say such horrific things to the great Chris Whitty who's just standing there in his mask being, you know, honorable. Um, and I just thought, when, when, where have we got in the world where like, Descent of people in authority, or like where, like, it used in my life, it was normal to call politicians and people in authority liars. That wasn't something that would get you in trouble. It was in, entirely like the people who who have no immunity to that sort of stuff well, are people who put themselves in positions of power like that. Isabel, this is where I was going to go with the, the fact that the three of us actually are probably these contradictory uh, type personalities. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting for me because there is literally no, there is no place for that anymore. There's no place for any sort of uh, dissent. It just, it's just kind of like, <laughs> it's, they, they've labeled it like Nazism at this point. It's a resolution what's, problem. What's also really, what's also really interesting is that, <clears throat> I mean, the the roles have been entirely... I mean, I don't think left and right even apply anymore. I think it's so much more convoluted, the political landscape anyway. But if you go with the traditional labels, it used to be the right wing that were repressive, right? They, the right wing were the ones telling you you couldn't swear and that you had to be like, you know, no sex, no porn, you know. 
It was the right wing that was always very, you know, culturally I'm, I, repressive. I'm a strong, I am strongly in disagreement with, with that assessment. Everyone, everyone says that, but I, as a, as, <laughs> as a curmudgeon, uh, I'm going to disagree okay, with that. Go on. I'm, 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 I'm open to your uh, disagreement. So, so, the, so I would say this, the, the right has always been, particularly when the Christian right arose during the eighties, the right has always been very uh, moralist, but They've been very moralist about, like, what comes into their own homes. They're not upset that the rap album was made. They're upset that their child listened to it. Or their 12-year-old could access or their Yeah. Or that, like, someone else was able to bring it into their house without them controlling, you know, access to the stuff. Like, they, they never went and tried to make laws that banned them. Their laws were like, we want a label on this that says it's bad. You know, that was the law that the right would advocate for. Um, or they would send their videos to like Utah to have them scrubbed of sex scenes. My my dad uh, refused to spend that money, and he would take uh, magnets on sex scenes and put them over videos to make those entire segments uh, blurry. So I've seen, for example, Schindler's <laughs> List, but I've never seen the sex part of Schindler's List because it's all blurry. Wait, he, he did this manually? Yeah, he did it manually. My dad. So would, he would like take the tape out, rewind it a little, and, and de- then he would take, He would take a mag. <laughs> he, wow, he would do this that's a stunning it. amount of commitment. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> my dad's a great man. <laughs> he, he's clearly a dedicated man. Very, but he didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't about like not having the movie. It was about like getting rid of the parts that he found objectionable, and he didn't care if other people allowed it in their house. It was that he cared that. He didn't want it in his house, but he recognized okay. the movie for the art it was. So it's a little different. And like you can read this back in the 1800s. There's a book called In His Steps, and uh, there's an entire. It's it's a it's a great view of like Christians in the early 19th or late 19th century, and they look they reflect like 1980s Christians. And there's this whole thing. There's a newspaper editor, for example, in In His Steps, and and In His Steps is where you get the phrase "What would Jesus do?" Because it's a group of people that start living by the phrase "What would Jesus do." And this newspaper editor decides that he has he's going to stop covering boxing. Mm. And it's a personal decision. He doesn't want to do it because that's what Jesus would do. Because in 1890, boxing was the great Satan. And uh and so like that that's that's the Christian right. It's very different than what the left is now. Which what is, would Tipper do? Is really the, how do? I live my life. The le- the left the they left on the other hand well, the is, about, hearings. is about mandating you do the thing they want. And it's a very different kind of authoritarianism. Yeah, I, I see your point. Um, I have to think about it a bit more, but like, I, I, I see your point. But Is I still it, think it's, um, I think it's strange that like, because I do think the left used to be kind of pro-maximum liberty. And, and I still know many left-wing people are very pro-free speech. I think that's like classical liberals maybe. <laughs> Isabella, like one thing I'd like to circle back, as Jen Psaki says, on something you said, because you, you basically were going. Yeah, I mean, like, I'd, I agree with you that it's not per se anymore a left right dynamic. And it's um, the resolution of communication in the public sphere is so low now that the ability to transmit something complicated has been I mean it's always a challenge obviously to educate people in real time on a complex topic like virology but we're in a culture of just insane responsiveness and very short time horizons um Josh and I were kicking around 
something this week, uh, just in conversation. Um, you, you, I, you probably know what Gresham's Law is in finance. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the, Do you know what that is? <laughs> the basic. The, I know. I know. I know it from the old days, from the Diocletian days. The, yeah, go on, the go on. big yeah. theory, you know, is just that bad money crowds out good, and yeah. Um, yeah. without getting too much into <laughs> the traditional definition, we've been kind of kicking around Gresham's law of communication, if you will, and that's that yeah, low, low, in, low information, specifically low information knowledge, crowds out high information knowledge. Not just bad and good, but like the resolution due to sound bites and, and frankly, Twitter with the 140, 280 uh, character limit. It is it is turned people into such reason free response organisms that, you know, I, I witness people who I know to be very intelligent. I've grown up with them. I know they're absolutely upper two percent IQ people acting like complete morons now on social media, but honestly, even in person, like they're incapable of reasoning anymore. And I, you yeah, know, uh, it's, yeah, it's I, not I okay. <laughs> you know, it's the medium and it's, and part of it is the reduction in cost of the medium uh, itself. And I was, you know, I, li- I like to be historical about these things. This has happened before. It's always a um, example of something that's going on today that we can find in the past. And you, you might, I can't remember what the equivalent was in the US, but in the UK we had the penny press, which was after the massive sort of reduction in the cost of printing, you had like pamphleteers who were just, you know, anyone could write. It was like Twitter of its, you know, of, of, the, of the 19th century. And um, anyone could write anything and just, you know, give it out. And so there's all these like ridiculous, some of them were really crude. Um, you know, it was like a 4chan posting board, you know, anyone could write whatever they want and they were Even the Marquis Sod could write stuff. Yeah, it's it's always yeah, about like screaming was, in the library. It changes the nature of, of the whole enterprise, right? When someone can come in and just start screaming in the library, scholarship changes. Not, not relevant, not relevant at all, but I have to just to drop it in because I haven't talked about books in a long time. Isabella gave me the greatest book I've, uh, the greatest nonfiction book I've read in a really long time, uh, called Newton and the Counterfeiter. Oh yeah, yeah, that's one of my faves. That was one of the most riveting reads I've ever I've ever encountered. Yeah. What, what, and what, what what's your linking? What, what, it has nothing to do with it. I'm just thinking of the penny press, and, was like, and <laughs> oh, Isabella right, right, happens okay. to be on the show. And then I was like, I just if okay. you're looking for a good book, that's a good book, everybody. Well, it's I, on the Jones. This is Jones. Back to you, list. Isabella. Back to you, Isabella. <laughs> well, how's the weather? Well, I love, <laughs> I love this like idea of Isaac Newton as the original Bitcoiner because I think he would have been a Bitcoiner. Oh, he was such a Bitcoiner, and his, and his Pokemon yeah. game got reset. Even that's the best part about him. Was and he, also, was he, he a virgin? Though? He was the no. He was. It, that's just uh, the thing co- they said about the guy. Oh, okay. I just didn't know how the hooker money would work if he. Anyway. <laughs> um, he was probably an incel. No, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know the um that book the correct. I don't know what his anyway. The book indicates um, that he was a real dick. Either way, <laughs> like he was. Yeah. He, he really yeah, wanted yeah. to kill counterfeiters. Like he had he had them out, like blood out like. Bloodlust for counterfeiters. Not, really? He yeah. was. He was Mister Immutable. Yeah, definitely. No. Yeah. Is this totally fictionalized, to or is this no? It's, it's, it's perfectly yeah, it's real. real. It's exactly. It's an amazing book. 
It talks about the history Basically, of money. But Isaac Newton was coming up with great concepts like gravity and whatever math, math, mathematical 20s. color theories. Right. And then somebody appointed him head of the Royal Mint. Like, right. And he was a bit Weights of an alchemist measures, right? as well. <laughs> he, yeah, he was very and much he was an alchemist. A, <laughs> he was an alchemist, right? So he and there was at the time there was like a massive sort of. Um, monetary issue with France because there was a debasement going on and uh, and there was some uh, I can't remember the details now but the, I, I, I get it wrong anyway one of the countries had like an overvalued exchange rate and no it was it, Isabella it was that France had a floating point exchange rate and that was it and yes. Britain had a mandated price and so people would clip the gold from the coins put them on that a ship, it, yeah. sell them in France, and then come back and do it again. So you had this perpetual motion machine of value creation <laughs> and until and, until and, people realized it, that it was taking money from Britain through debasement. Exactly. And meanwhile, you had this counterfeiter running wild, which was sending Newton insane. Uh, and he wanted to, like, you know, li like his entire, he became, like, obsessed with, with eliminating him. And um, and anyway, it's, 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 I, I don't want to ruin it, so you should read it. But but it's it's a really in, insightful kind of this has happened before kind of uh, moral to the story. I mean, I just I do think like if Isaac Newton was alive today, he would be a Bitcoiner for sure, one hundred percent. No. Wait, well, he yeah, and he would have given all his money away to a scam. <laughs> yes, that too. You would have invested in like it would have been the South Sea the, uh, South Sea Buttcoin. South Sea. <laughs> he'd be an altcoiner. Yeah. He'd, well, he'd be an altcoiner, and he would be. That's the thing about Isaac Newton is like he he enjoyed finance in the way that like a lot of Bitcoiners do, and he would have ended up an altcoiner. He get, dude. He he lost all his money to the South Sea bubble. Yeah, he did. He did. He did. But um. But anyway, it's just it's just a nice um. It's a nice thought. But um, just trying to think, yeah. But I do trying to go further back in history. But no, go on. To go back to Dex's point, um, I do think. I, I mean, I think he's right though. Like this, this whole low information thing. Like I've been in rooms oh, where everybody is, you know, an, a, a virologist now, and one person, like you'll know him. He'll be an actual, you know, PhD studying type you know, virologist type or something like that. And, and they, they don't have any, they'll have no ability to hold the room at all. No, like he'll, 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 he or she will say something and everyone will be like, oh, what do you know? Fauci says exactly, different. Exactly, exactly. Like, yeah, but but he yeah, exactly, actually knows what he's exactly. talking about. Absolutely. I've, I've seen that happen so often. And, and not only that, those people, like we saw it in America with doctors. Doctors would like question some of the stuff. They're experts too. And they would get canceled on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. The social yeah. pressure um, that you were talking about, the journalists feel in in England, where journalists exist. Um, what 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 exactly, other than like the editorial um, purview that like who they work for has over them? I mean, are you saying it's also kind of a peer pressure thing, like a, a journalist would? No, I think I think every journalist is an individual, and um, certainly we are all there will individuals. be journalists. Well, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I think all dancing nurses on TikTok are individuals. Do you have those so, in England? Um, <laughs> do the NHS yeah, nurses dance? 
Oh, they did. They did. Mm. They danced Charming. a lot. Oh, you want to you um, hear something creepy? We, Ask we her also, about the claps. We also had, oh yeah, we had the clap. The clap. <laughs> they have the drug for all, so all of Britain. You can take hydroxychloroquine. All of Britain got the right clap. <laughs> Maybe that's no. The clap was just so like cl- the clap was just beyond for me. Like as a poll, I just found it so communistically <laughs> authoritarian. It was just coming out on a Thursday. Everyone would clap, and you know the first one I was a bit cute, but it became ritualized, and it was every Thursday at seven o'clock. Well, what, weren't the Italians singing you? like beautiful things, and the British just no, can't compete? Was, you know, yeah, so they were like, "What are we going to do? Oh, right. We're going to clap." It's like, okay, great. No, but well, it became really Maoist because it started like just a clap, and then people and then it came, like, became full on bit, syphilis. No, <laughs> and then people who lived in a bit like not so tight knit, sort of you know semi detached whatever terrace houses, they they needed to make more noise, so they started bringing out pots and pans, and so by by like the fourth fifth week, we were full like Arm, there was that point in time where people something. were like. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it was. It it's was like insane. it brings out his drum set. Kim Jong Kim Jong Il's funeral, like well, the I, ritual. Like so, Sir Thomas More in, in the UK recently died, and I read that some Twitterer made a comment about him that was mean. He got arrested, but I was listening to the the report, and they they casually dropped. They're like, "Well, I mean, he was such an important person. We even did a Thursday clap for him." And I, I was, I was just him. like, like it was just accepted, like that's a thing we do. <laughs> we, just, we did a, know, we did a clap for like, <laughs> like, like from like, I know. Look, there's a fantastic, um, there's a fantastic film by a guy called Andre Vidal, who's a Polish director, and it's called Man of Marble, and it's all about how the communists would like build up these heroes for the for political purposes, and then when they were no longer needed, they would just you know topple them and whatever they disappear into the gulags. Um, and um, in the case of this particular man of marble, they, they, you know, when they're in the ascendancy, there would be statues of them and posters, and you know, everyone is out to like, you know, commend. And he was like a real Stakhanovite Stek, um, worker, um, and that's kind of the same phenomenon that was going on here with Tom Moore. Now, Tom Moore, I think, was a really admirable guy. He seemed like a great, you know, he, I, I have nothing against him. He seemed like a legitimate guy who wants to make a difference. But I blame the system for, like, making him a sort of an absurdity at the end. And what I found what I found um, very ironic is that so he died, and everyone was like, oh, he must have died of COVID. How awful. That's absurd. No, 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 no. Everyone knows that he died, no, of, he died of Cromwell. Of what? Of Cromwell? Yeah. Oliver Cromwell. <laughs> Sir Thomas More. Everyone knows that. But I'm fine. Got you, got you. Okay, sorry. Uh, I didn't and, by, by the way, <laughs> this show, this show's uh, theme, the logo is, uh, you know, that. A gayified oh, okay. one. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> You ever been I have, to the I have SoundCloud no graphic page. support, so I'll have to. Yeah, I'll you have to go to look, look at SoundCloud. Up. I really I gayified Thomas More and Cromwell. Okay, cool. I'll check it out. Yeah. But no, what was really funny about uh, Tom Moore in the end was that he um, he caught pneumonia in like Barbados. Like, so they put in lockdown in the UK, and then they stopped people traveling. And turns out, like, so first of all, the news comes out that he's died. Everyone's really like appalled, and it's a national crisis. And Boris Johnson has to like, you know, 
like candles or whatever and then and then it turns out that he caught (laughs) most likely covid he caught it in the hospital and uh, not only that he'd come back like just a few weeks back a few weeks before getting like pneumonia he came back from barbados for like two weeks with his entire family he'd been out there and i just and i was like oh my god so this is like massive cognitive dissonance because on one he, he hand, literally violated more, the rules. Yeah, literally. And but but so when you presented that like that massive paradox to to, to lockdown zealots who are now convinced you should never go on holiday ever again during a pandemic, um, they were like, well, it's different for Tom Moore. He was he'd raised lots of money for the NHS, so he gets to. <laughs> it was just like the rationale was or like this was this was another excuse I heard was like this was his uh, his last ever holiday. It's like, well, so wait a second. So all the Dubai influencers that got, like, told off for going to Dubai, even though it wasn't actually illegal to leave, they um, they could have brought their granny with them for their last trip, and it would <laughs> well, have been fine. Last, it's their last trip. Yeah. That's crazy. Anyway, I'll probably get cancelled for that, but. Isabel, why, why are people like this, though? Like, what is it that's causing everybody to literally do the cognitive dissonance thing? I don't know. It's, it's also a sort of, I think there's an element of vindictiveness as well. Um, people don't want to be happy for other people. You've, like, it's really, it's really strange. It's like this very, it's like a death cult. It's very weird. Do you, it's very, um, very weird. What was your, I, I don't know your background with, uh, with, with, with Poland. Were you, um, did you have experience with the, the communist era? Were you living there? Or you, you sound like you're pretty Britishly raised, but she was a pretty uh, she was a professional I, mushroom hunter. I, was <laughs> I was line. raised. Um, I was born in the UK, but I was born in '78. That I suppose is my age. Um, and I was born in a in a very Polish community in London, and so. We had very close contacts with, with high uh, awareness Poland. of was... what was going on in the in the sort of previous. I, I, what I'm getting at is just that the level of sort of communist agitprop and like this, the disturbing thing in all of this, and it, it doesn't just reside in the COVID response, but it, it's just that people have become automatons. They've, you know, the, the fear of publicly like showing that you're going to reason against what is stated as fact that's perhaps not fact it's it's just i mean there's there's a lot of communist predicates and fascist predicates and it's just sad to see where we're we're you know the media culture is just a horror show as far as i'm concerned um well i I, and i think repeating the mistakes of the past we haven't learned from them and it's that's why i find weird it's like we've done all the studies we've we've done all the milgram experiments into how like the nazis became the nazis and we know there's a fantastic so adam curtis has just done his new series and um explores all these themes and in a really tactful really i think nuanced and very balanced way and and i think what's great about adam curtis is that he really crosses the divide and he's He's appealing to so many people, um, and you know he he he. There's an interview, um, and I'd seen the whole thing with this Discordian guy called Kevin Fornley, and he talks about the Milgram experiments and how you know you probably know them, Josh. They're the ones where um, people uh, were asked to um, come button. and give radio shock. Oh yeah, therapy yeah, the button in the other room. Know, thing, um, yeah. 
because an authoritarian figure in a white lab coat has told them to do it and they keep like they can hear the person screaming and they're like oh no i'll keep doing it and they and like some i don't want to get figures to be honest so but like yeah like 80 percent of the people were like um quite happy to push you know to, to death to the death point yeah and um but the experiment i didn't know about that is kevin um kerry Thornley talks about is the one that apparently is another experiment where people would put into a classroom environment where they draw three lines on the board and they're all different lengths and everyone's oh, an yeah. actor yeah. Yep. <laughs> everyone's an actor in the, in the classroom and they're told they're asked the simple question of like which line is the longest and they they say the shortest one is the longest, and everybody you know says the same thing. And the person who's not an actor, like most of the time, would have agreed. They would just say, "Oh yeah, they must know something I don't." So they they say the short line is the long line. And then what was interesting, that all it took was to have some of the actors um, not necessarily say the long line was the long line, but to to deviate on their answer and sometimes say the medium line. Uh, or the short line, and that immediately, that deviation in the answer um, allowed the non-actor to then say the real line, the real one that was real. Interesting. So that, I, I, find, I find that's kind of what's going on now, maybe? Uh, maybe, except that, like, I, I don't know. I think it's more conformism, because, like, even if you have... The thing well, is, we is don't have actors. The ultimate conformism. But, but we don't have actors. I, the way that I've been describing it lately is that, like, I think what's happened is secularists have created what they consider to be heaven on earth, which is they say in order to get into heaven or the in crowd, you have to agree to these tenets. And if you do, then you're in heaven and everybody will like you. And that's what happens. And then the other people are like just cast out. And then they're, they're in the outer sphere. And what's funny to me is that, you know, 50% of America right now is like, not 50, but like, well, let's say 50% are these, you know, nutters. And then 50% are people like me who are a little bit more skeptical of everything that they say. And somehow 50% of the country feels like they're left out. Like they're the warlock, the, the Morlocks to the Eloi. Well, what I like about you, Josh, is that you tend to be very humble about your opinions, like in a weird way, like... Huh. You you don't like you start. That COVID you, hits you pretty hard, always, huh? But, no, but like your your starting point is usually you know I I'm wrong I'm an idiot blah blah blah. Oh, um, yeah. Even though you're not, um, but yeah. it's that humility and I really like that and I feel that's lost. I feel like everybody is. She's you confused know, I, your self awareness for humility. I just don't know. I there very, very often people ask me, I just don't know the answer because I don't know. There's so much mystery, so much chaos that I can't make sense of it. It's so crazy. I feel very suspicious of people who immediately declare is the old Star Wars line, you know. Absolute, I watched, you know I watched Star Wars last night for Star Trek. Sorry, different <laughs> different. Sorry. <laughs> so about, you know, absolute you know or what's what's the what's the quote about absolute you know, only Sith steal in absolutes, that one. Um, oh. It feels like that. Yeah. No, it's true. Only Sith steal in absolutes. Is it? Is it just a hysteria yeah. effect? I mean, essentially, like, let's not um, forget, you know, COVID is a, 
this is a horrifying experience for a lot of people. And a lot of people are just traumatized. And I think when people are traumatized, they're very suggestible. And I, I think there's a class of in the ruling class who is very aware of that. And they like to accentuate every trauma they can so that they get the follow on benefit of whatever they're trying to sneak through. Um, because like, I I don't think this is just, I mean, like I, I see that like, whether it's the, the riots we had here in the summer, um, which were protests, which were (laughs) driven by a real event, but the, the level of, of hysteria was hard to deny the election, even wall street bets. And like the, the recent sort of mania that we have, like we keep having these collective hysterias yeah. one after another, as we talked about before, well, but like real, real quick, what I, the cognitive dissonance I found in myself on all of this is very interesting. Cause I know that like I'll survive it. I'm fine. You know, I'm young, not going to die of COVID very unlikely, even, even with certain risk factors, right? Like it's very unlikely. It's like a 99.9% chance that I survive yet. Like I find myself with that knowledge to be utterly Utterly scared of getting it. Well, this is the thing. I'm super cynical, and yet when I got COVID a couple of weeks ago, you're like, "I'm dead. I'm I gonna still, die." Still, well, it because I'm okay. I am. I confess, I am a bit of a hypochondriac, and and but my my cynicism about this is also strong. So I had a bit of cognitive bias, and and therefore I didn't want to tempt fate, and I did like every like. I'm sure, like, I'm, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I'm, I'm pretty sure your, your mental condition does influence how you can recover. I know I've had, like, instances where I have battled through colds, and I was like, I'm going on this bloody part, like, I've got a party or something, I'm just not going to let the cold get me, and then as soon as the party's over, you just, you know, collapse and, and have, like, you know, mental strength can really help you in these things. And then everybody and else got a cold been... <laughs> at that party. And... <laughs> Exactly. Oh my God! Could you imagine these days? Jeez, like that was just normal back well, then. It, it's funny because so, like it used to be that like you'd go to work and someone would be like, "Oh, you have the flu. God damn it! Why did you come to work?" But they wouldn't be mad at you. They'd be like, "Fuck! Like I might get it now." Now it's like you're gonna kill yeah. me. I know, but um, but yeah. So so I even I was like very much like so aware of every breath I was taking. Is that like an, that pain? Is that like my lung collapsing? Or oh, is no. that just, you know, to it, you know, you just, you just put, you, it, 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 it preys in your mind and it makes you go a bit mad. Really? And, um, and I do find it very interesting because I did look the other day. It's like, no one talks about hypochondria at all. It's like totally stigmatized. Yeah. In fact, I haven't even seen any articles about it. And it's the obvious elephant in the room. Um, I mean, I'm not denying COVID, but I am denying. I am. I'm not denying. That's wrong. I'm, I'm talking. <laughs> I'm talking about there must be just through basic deduction, due to the fear campaign waged by media. I am absolutely certain hypochondria must have gone off the charts, and yet we have no psychological oh, yeah. surveys that I've seen um, into this phenomenon at all. Okay. And what I. Sorry. And and the relative like experiences of people who have had mild COVID, and I completely accept that not everybody gets mild COVID, and the horrific examples of counterexamples. But people who get mild COVID seem to be like they talk about it in a survivalist in survivalist <laughs> language. That I've never. Yeah. To, I, will, I will say, like, um, <laughs> you know, we are we are doing 
here actually we we are we're holding hands and we're praying that your fingers don't fall off because we hear that that <laughs> happens to like eighty four percent of COVID patients or something. Now my fingers, I can I can I can confirm my fingers are still okay. Well, wait eight months. <laughs> all fine. You know that's why we that's why we're praying real hard. You know. Okay. It's the long COVID. Okay. What was the perspective, Isabella, and just to change subject, what was the perspective of like Financial Times people on the nutsiness of like the GameStop stuff? Oh, okay. I mean, first of all, you've got to understand the context is that all journalists are working from home. There is no consensus creation because the only time you see people is in like morning conference where everybody's a little bit on edge because you don't want to, like, you don't speak freely on a Zoom conference with 30, 40 people. And even in the best of times in morning conference, it's all very, you know, formal and hierarchical. And, you know, so so there isn't the usual kind of discourse in, in a newspaper, at least like the FT, is, you know, in day-to-day um, interactions around, you know, in the, you know, whilst eating lunch or, you know, in the corridor or whatever. That's not happening at the moment. So you've got all these isolated journalists who are probably communicating with each other on Slack, probably disagreeing with each other a lot and doing the whole, like, I mean, I confess, I, I, I also, I had, I, I, I find the kind of group chats a little bit stressful. So um, <laughs> I have I have taken a vacation from one of them. <laughs> I will be back. I'm, I'm not Brexiting forever, but um, the, the the point is that journalists themselves are operating on very unusual in unusual kind of um, conditions. They're not fit for journalistic unless you are the sort of journalist who works independently anyway, like a researcher. It's not the normal sort of situation. So GameStop, whatever, um, the work from home, like scenario has created a very strange consensus formation as a result. That's that's interesting. That's probably good. But well what sorry? That's probably good in some ways. Because like journal but but I'm wondering like because I, I think that like a lot of what we're talking about in terms of like uh you know the lowest form of communication and whatnot, like the GameStop thing was astounding because all of these kids suddenly decided that they were options traders and that they knew everything about options. Mm. Well, like epidemiologists. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it was weird to watch a bunch of children jump into, like, leveraged options trading with absolutely no knowledge of it and start screaming about hedgies and uh, how they're, you know, all stealing money and stuff, which is true, but not in the way that these, uh, the, the Redditors thought, I think. <laughs> No, it was it was massively oversimplified, and and I think um, Julian Tett wrote a really good piece about it, and I think her take was probably the correct one from my perspective, which is that everything was over, massively oversimplified. It was like them versus us, and it was a revolution, and you know, screw the hedges. But as usual, power, real power, lurks in the middle. It's not often on the superficial front. And the real power is in the is is in the is is in the structural, um, you know, underlying plumbing of the financial system, and who empowers those brokers and how they get the liquidity, and the broker dealers. And really, what we learned with GameStop and Robinhood is the power and importance of clearing and of 
um, who really calls the shots in, in this sort of scenario. And it's the broker-dealers, as usual, who are creating liquidity and um, ensuring that a, a, a company like Robinhood can provide um, the access to those stocks that it provides. Well, I, and also, I think it taught... It also taught us, you know, the path. You know, Robin Hood is all about democratization of finance, but that again is a is smoke and mirrors because if it's it's exactly the same bait and switch yeah. as like Facebook or whatever. If it's mm. if it's free, you're the product, and really all Robin Hood is doing is passing on flow yeah. to the third party brokers who eat their lunch. Well, the thing too so is eighty percent. Eighty percent of the yeah, money in the whole um, GameStop you know, reaction was, was broker dealer. I mean, the one thing is, is Robinhood was bound by regulations. Um, you know, their liquidity was insufficient and so they had to stop trading and, um, mm -hmm. you know, the liquidity comes, you know, he who has a liquidity <laughs> certainly makes the rules. Right. And, um, the, the, the thing that's strange is this is almost an, an echo of what we saw with the Chinese, uh, you know, like people falling down and welded in. There's there's this <laughs> there's this thing that gets thrown out there to create the the mood, right? You know, when oh they're, they're cheating, they're doing this, but it's not really the case. And I, I mean, I think a big <laughs> problem is the 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 you know without analyzing who's on Wall Street bets and Reddit down to the last man, but like a lot of them are trophy culture kids like in the united states we had a movement where like they stopped allowing any judgment of merit about i don't know 15 20 years ago and they got rid of trophies um you know first place second place, third place. And, and then everybody basically got a tr the same trophy and um like it's that taken to fruition these these people are gamers a lot of them and they um now they think the system is rigged, but that's because they conceptualize everything like there's no counterparty, right? They just think that it's a game, and it's like they have the cheat code, well, and they're going to win because someone told them how to cheat. They don't understand there's a giant, like, grizzly bear of liquidity run oh, yeah. by traditional broker-dealers, <laughs> and that they're literally putting all their money into Robinhood, who's just selling their order flow, and they can't win this game. And they're just duped by the like whole thing. I, I think that Isabella's lessons are all very good. But what I learned was uh, that millennials and Zoomers are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the lesson that I got out of it. I was like, oh, wow. All these millennials and Zoomers really like think they know what's going to happen here. And it was so easy to predict exactly how this would end. Mm. It's a meme. I mean, it was fun. Yeah. It was fun whilst it lasted. But it, it was wasn't a revolution. Great. It wasn't like it. It was like no, it was no. a fart. It was like no, a, a bunch. It was an of ideological course. fart. Gone yeah. with the wind, but as they say. I think what's interesting about it, from like a disruption perspective and a revolutionary perspective, is that it illustrated the power of a collective uh, if they are properly organised on the internet. And what I find interesting in the current sort of information media landscape is to what degree the new sort of confrontations are happening simply online in this digital ether fantasy world. And so, you need like these, essentially the, the Wall Street Bets people were just soldiers in a sort of revolutionary, they were like, 
it reminded me of like Les Miserables or something, you know? Is that how you say that? <laughs> if we're going to... I, I don't know. <laughs> My French is terrible. How do you say it? I don't know. Les, As, les, I look at it like Les Miserables. Les Miserables. Les Miserables. It's a, it's a, <laughs> I, I always thought it was a play about a guy named Les. Less, less, less miserables. Yeah, but you, you know the. Um, he had a diner. You know the. Um, you know the story of Les Misérables. It is. Um, well, I know Victor Hugo's version like of it, but failed. I thought that maybe like Andrew Lloyd Webber took a different thing in. Uh, yeah. It wasn't take. Andrew Lloyd Webber. No, it was Victor but, Victor Hugo. Um, I. Yes, I know, but the stage version wasn't Andrew Lloyd Webber either. But anyway, Liam Neeson. Matter. <laughs> it took place on a giant turntable. I know that. It just kept rotating and that rotating. That was the film version. Oh. A, you know, anyway, the point is that Les Mis was this like failed revolution by these idealists who like thought they could you know stand up to the system, and but actually they just like ended up <clears throat> dying, and and it was all disaster. Um, and it's because they were too idealistic and they didn't understand the power structures, and that's exactly i think the right metaphor but what's what's interesting is that it's happening online and it's happening a sort of it's a sort of synthesized version of what would happen in the real kind of blood blood bank blood sacks whatever you call us human beings world i like blood um, sacks you know yeah but I think so, it's spectacle, so, and they're, they're, these GameStop kids have been set up, honestly. I, I think there's malevolent actors in Wall Street bets who have just herded these these kids into the Muppet show. But what would be and the purpose? Just to lick, to, to, But what, what's the purpose? To take their money. Well, they certainly oh, did do that. I, I think that it was I, – I actually took the opposite lesson that you did, Isabella. I did not find this to be a demonstration of what can happen with an organized collective – I found this to be a great demonstration of the limits of an organized collective. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's get, exactly it. That's yeah, exactly they, it. they all yeah. get bored after a week, which is exactly what I thought would happen. It, 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 like, it's also what happens when there's an it, anonymized collective where no one can verify <laughs> the, the like, actual... And there's no accountability. Well... Deep fucking value, right? Like, who the hell knows who any of these people really are? We know who he is. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna know <laughs> sooner or more. But when you're in this collective and you you think you're all on the same team, there's this lack of. I mean, these people are so. The the the, the problem with the Wall Street bets kids is they they can't imagine that there might be someone who's willing to Photoshop an account statement and be like, look, this is I'm all in right here. Check it out, bros. Oh, wow, golden hand, you know, diamond hands. It's like, guess what? I could have just freaking printed that and screen capped it and got all you suckers to follow me in on, like, a highly leveraged trade. Oh, yeah. And, and like, oh, yeah, it's yeah, basically yeah. a way of creating a bot farm with real people. And it's, it's a like, bot farm with real people. Exactly that. J- just so you know, Deep That's Fucking we, Value's but, real name is just, the Roaring but, Kitty. But... <laughs> But that's, I think that's a really powerful um, observation because that's exactly what I was trying to badly articulate. I didn't articulate it very well, but, like, they're bot armies with real people. But it's this true. is the new This is the new frontier. This is the new... I mean, I don't want to, like, like... I, I get... It's awful because you can't say info wars anymore. But, like, this is literally, like... You can't on this show. We're worse. Ha- 
just to get our rating. <laughs> We've been. I know, but I mean it. I mean it in its core, like literal sense, not as in the show. I, I feel very <laughs> sorry like... for the fact that these kids have been used. Like this is becoming regression yeah, to the meme. Is... Like it's they just they're being controlled but... by things that seem very attractive. Like the idea that oh we're gonna we're gonna stick it to the big guys. It's a it's a popular revolution, yeah, the and they're getting same. herded into the... uh, into like the the veal pen, you know, or the. But this is the same rhetoric that drives real-world revolutions and coups. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same stuff. It's so, like, so it's here's just happening all the better to cheapen to... it so we don't have a My real dear. one. You know, like, think about that. Like, we're going to run through them all, right? And just the more you make people cynical about that, the, the, the less likely it will be to actually happen. Do you, if, you, if, we Eat give, the bugs. if we give millennials and zillennials... Uh, <laughs> control over uh, making decisions in markets. What will differentiate us from Albania circa the 90s? Explain your Albania point. Well, Albania had that giant, uh, that they had like a civil war, which was the result of huge numbers of their population investing like in Ponzi schemes. It was something like 30% oh, yeah. of their... Thirty percent of their GDP was invested in Ponzi's. This is like a knowledge gap for me. Is I it? had no idea about the yeah, yeah yeah. I think it's Albania. Sounds like something I should know about, but I uh, I remember Macedonia. I remember Bosnia. Yeah yeah. Wikipedia pyramid schemes in Albania. But you see, when when the Soviet Union collapsed, um, you had like all these suckers because people had been under the sort of welfare system of the Soviet Union and the only people who knew how markets worked were the black market criminals, right? right? And so you had this like weird asymmetry in the market of people who are totally like, you know, caveat emptor didn't exist because well, you get MMM like, <laughs> out of that era. Yeah. And you got MMM and Mavrodi and, and, and this was like the, these people had never had to think of like you know, there was no institution. There was no retail investing. It's just not. It, they didn't know what what they were doing. But my ulti- they my didn't ultimate point. Share was my ultimate point here is they didn't even know. A, like and, you, and so they were ripe for the picking. Right. It, it, like so, anyone who was who knew anything, the information symmetry was so massive that you could just come in with any insight into how. Stocks and shares worked in the real world, right? And you could just rip people off. Well, the, so so these kids, I've realized, have no concept of how markets work, which you know makes makes perfect sense. But what they've done here is they've like I don't see the difference between what they did in GameStop and a Ponzi scheme, except that like the people the, the Bernie Madoff at the top doesn't exist, and the people that will be the Bernie Madoff uh, type people are going to be the hedge funds ultimately. But if you do this again and again yeah. and again, you're just giving money away, and you're not going to get it back. You are going to lose that game. It is a Ponzi when you all yeah, drive up value but, of a company together like that. But it's it's a, a you know in the words of Bitcoin, it's Ponzi, a Ponzi that balances, Ponzi, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's always been like my critique of Bitcoin, and that was always my critique about crypto madness as well. Is that like it was again all these. I mean, obviously, they've been on a learning curve for over, like, six, seven years now, so that they know about markets, but it took a while. Like, the early days of crypto, you had a similar amount of, like, newbies who had no idea what they were doing and who were just being taken advantage of by 
pump and dump uh, kind of schemes. Oh, I was there, and I, the, I, the I did it, you know. I didn't do the pumping and dumping. The, I'm not admitting to that. But also the real <laughs> the real the real parasites were like the broker dealers who'd come from core finance and knew how like you know and who, who knew how it's markets true. operated and just just knew that you don't make money in finance from betting on the price you do it from arbitrage and that, and that is you know that's the fundamental problem like all the moon people like you, okay it's it's worked out for them i don't begrudge you know i think you know they took a risk and they've still got their money that's great but um the real money like the real smart money is the riskless stuff like the stuff that just gives you, you know, the pennies in front of the steamroller and you just collect them. The LTCM money. Yeah, well, it's actually that's a bad metaphor because it's, <laughs> it's, it's, LT, LTCM was actually doing something quite risky in the end. But this is like a sure bet. Like arbitrage is just a sure bet. So yeah, um, they're just they're just skimming and 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 they they they're doing it through manipulating order flow most of the time. Well, this the GameStop thing was even more ridiculous because the structure the of, of, of the uh, the structure of the, what they were doing as an options trade was so obviously going to collapse, and they didn't have the ability, they didn't have liquidity, and then all the real pros came in and just crushed them. As anybody yeah. who thought about it for a nanosecond was like, "Oh well, th- I know how this is going to end." And it ended yeah. just like but that. It, and I was like, geez. You, you said something kind of genius that I think uh, was, was lost in all this. You called it the regression to the meme, <laughs> which I thought was brilliant. Well, regression it, to, it, regression it is, to the meme. It, it, it's like <laughs> the reason why, why you know, intelligent conversation can't be had is because there's always a chorus of monkeys just screaming this nonsense whatever inane thing and it's like memes can be beautiful and hilarious but a lot of the times they're reductionist and we're we're all being reduced into like this very tight cognitive space where there's there's no tolerance for you know just not being a repeater and it's it's i think it spans all these things we've been talking about it spans covid it spans gamestop of I mean, frankly, it, it spans because... Bitcoin, like, as we go into, like, the, the, the now the mass legitification of Bitcoin that's happening. Like, everybody is full of crap. Like, no one has depth on what they're talking about. Elizabeth Warren, who literally was on the CPS, whatever her stupid thing is, like, she helped write Dodd-Frank. She comes out against, the, against Robin she Hood helped. for enforcing the regulations no, she no, no, helped no. to write. She helped... Past Dodd Frank. <laughs> she apparently never read it because well, read because the passed. amount of demonization she had of Robin Hood for enforcing her fucking rules. Like, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was really funny. It was like the, but, the, the, but she wanted the likes. Everybody's just a goddamn Instagram addict. There's no difference. I thought that was. I think that's really funny when like uh, like during the Trump era, I saw this a lot where. Uh, Democrats would scream at Trump for using the loopholes that they literally gave him to use in taxes. <laughs> like, he's using loopholes. Yeah, you've been in Congress for forty years. Where do you think that you got he got them from? Where did those loopholes yeah. come from, you stupid ass? Anyhow, but yeah, but, like, um, I think, but it, it all comes down to like collectivist, you know, collect whether you like it or not, you know, because we're all. You know, I'm, I'm citing Adam Curtis again, but like, 
individualism. We're, we're all like individual. We kind of like have been conditioned to think individuals. Individualism is like a really great thing, and it is a great thing, and it's brilliant. But as he says, it actually has a weakness to it, <clears throat> which is like you end up being alone and quite isolated, and you have no real power. Right. Because you, your power is very much about in your own head, and it's about who you think you can be, but projecting, and you can change the world maybe, but, but you can't change the world in the world of individuals. You, ha- you can only change the world if your individuality sub- subjects others to collectivism, because only real collectivism can change stuff, because you need the power of a collective force to kind of change norms and all that sort of stuff. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a paradox, really. And if you're a co- collectivist, if you're in a collective, you are always going to sacrifice, you, you're, you're effectively always going to be um, ripped off by somebody because you are giving away your power. You, you are basically voluntarily being, um, you know, Attack of the clones. So, so, so it's it, it it's a quandary, and it's a and it, it's an impossible sort of paradox to get out of. And liquidity is very much like that. Cause liquidity is again about forming collectivism in 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 information flow and order flow. Because an order flow is just like a big collective collectivist action, and the individual who who sees the who can you know he can see what the collective can't see takes advantage of it. And that's precisely, it's a, it's a very similar dynamic, um, in my opinion. But, but GameStop is interesting, and I wonder what will happen next. I wonder where that sort of momentum is well, going to lead. I, I, mean, th- I think Dex is right. I think they think they found a, uh, a cheat code. Well, they tried to do it in silver, and they got stomped like a narc. Did they a actually biker try rally. to do it in silver, or the did... silver market is just too big? And it I has... felt like silver. I feel like silver dealers announced that they were going to try it, but they didn't actually. Well, again, perhaps people did post nonsense on Wall Street bets because who's to know? But I, I think that there was an attempt for a run on silver, and frankly, the these guys just don't know the forces they're playing with, and. They were crushed. I mean, at the end of the day, the Chinese could always, you know, just flood the market. Yeah. The Chinese have quite a bit of silver. And, you know, as long as we're serious, yes, there's information warfare. Yes, the Chinese and the Russians do it. Who's to say they're not on on Reddit? You know, I mean. Well, they're not great at English. Have you seen their toilet signs? Yeah, that's true. There's bound to be one or two. The Russians are much better at it than the Chinese. Like when the Chinese do like the bot army like thing, and they try to get it, they try to get in like fights with you. You're like, dude, like you're not good at this. Do you know what I learned about Chinese food in They're America? They're good at port scanning by, by and nothing way, else. They're good at port scanning. So American Chinese food is usually viewed as like inferior Chinese food compared to like real Chinese food. You know, it's like its own. Like it's like yeah, but it's it's really good. Well, did you so? Apparently, it's its own thing. Like, it was developed here in America. Chow mein isn't real. It is. It's just American. But it's, it's like, the Chinese in America, like, immigrants developed this, like, this food as a gift to us in America. Uh, The the UK has its own Chinese food as well, and it's Hong Kong kind of derived, but it's it's very different to Chinese food in China. The the Indians kind of did what... The Chinese did here in the UK, didn't they? Like, you guys have a lot of Indian food. Yeah, and we also have our own sort of 
totally made up dishes that are never eaten in India. So yeah, absolutely. Right. It's like the we British are, cuisine we have, we have in America. We have mutant strains of 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 Indian food. Well, we is, I was gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say like the, the the other metaphor is the virus because it is like a virus and, and it's you know, a, a, like when it's when it's kind of mutating and 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 kind of seeking dominant like the memes and how they adapt. It's, it's basically vi- virology and you can never predict online like what's going to go viral. You can, you just can't predict what idea is going to take right. And I have like working in the media. I have never been able to find the pattern that makes it go viral. And so there are stories that I would never think would go viral, and they do go viral. And then there are others that, like, I think, oh, this has all the elements of a viral story. And it doesn't. And they just die. Is this all a signal-to-noise problem? I mean, like, when we talk about collectivism, I mean, I think one of the implications is the thing that never gets collectivized is intelligence. Like, you can't collectivize the input of, like, the far-right tail in a distribution. You have to go to the mean, right? You have to regress to the mean. And, like, part of the problem with online culture (laughs) and ubiquitous being online, everybody's online all the time, all the time, the culture can't be sophisticated. It can't be elevating. It has to be dead center average in order to to pass the a b test of how journalism and and all this stuff works and it's a feedback loop this is where the most people will be willing to repeat it we're all stuck in this feedback loop and it is essentially collectivism of the electronic devices that we're all addicted to because we can't interact with each other any other way i think the no the 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 scenario i was describing earlier though where you go into a room and there's like a literal expert there and nobody will believe him I think that is a yeah. a very good example of like if if this is if this were a phenomenon of what regress regressing to the meme would look like it, because it's like it is it is, a mimetic, it, it is a mimetic it is a claim it, 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 it is exactly that and also I think when you try to predict what what does go viral and what doesn't it's not just the content of the message it's the timing of the message and the relative circumstances of the other people and um whether they're ready for that message. So, like, you can be with, you know, with a lot of stories, we are really ahead of the curve on Alphabet, but the, the crowd is not ready to receive them yet. And so it's only the, the idea it circulates in very sort of small, small quarters um, and is frowned upon and usually pushed back by the crowd. And then someone like, uh, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this, but someone like Julian Tett, her, maybe because she's an anthropologist, like her real talent is not necessarily finding the idea before anyone else. It's about timing it and putting it out there just at the right moment when the zeitgeist is ready for it. And that's how she, like, that's her amazing skill. I think she's so good at that. Is it and a that subconscious is, um, skill or are you saying she actually has a way of, of programmatically hitting it i don't know i haven't i haven't spoken to her about it but i think i i would imagine it's a combination of her just being an anthropologist and and also just having a subconscious like time thing a zeitgeist detector like a spidey tingles so you can so so the same idea can be you can try and put it out there like three weeks ago and won't go go it won't go viral it's yeah, true. I, mean, I think there is a, there's definitely a current, like a component of, of something being the right type of current, whether it's a new thing or 
is just like something that is close to like something happens and then something kind of amps it and builds it. There's definitely a component there. I don't know how to. I, I learned this years ago in, in college. Uh, like what? I mean, I've, I did a lot of marketing over the years, and one of the things that really struck me in college was I, I had this blog, and it was on this uh, website that no longer exists. But I did this essay. It was like a literature type website. I did, website. I did this essay on being a, a server, and I remember I released the essay twice. And the first time I released it. It was like widely read on the site. Everyone read it, and the comments were overwhelmingly encouraging. The second time I did it, it was exactly the same. And the first comment was like, "This is really terrible and mean." And all of them, all of the other comments below it, reflected that exact same sentiment. Well, that also goes to the milgram thing, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Because again, it depends on on what the trend, like the the, the reaction. And how, and so that that suggests to me that you can put like an agent provocateur in to effectively uh, sort of direct the reaction because well, yeah, you could probably so we were talking do. About you, so you said you said interestingly you said it's not a milgram experiment because they're not actors, <laughs> but what if some of them are actors and then that shows i mean that goes into conspiracy land but right. if you have some <laughs> element of like just disruptive sort of forces who and we know that there are people we know that there are like signals and you know intelligence whatever and um you know the the, the british are quite transparent that they that they're trying to direct and manage you know covid disinformation or whatever so i do think um What's interesting is if you and you see this in, in crypto all the time, like all the Reddit boards that I never got it. I never really understood. There's total paranoia about like shills and and people who are masquerading paid as people trolls. who are not really them. Paid trolls. Like there's a total sock I've puppets. Never, I, it always struck me as really weird how obsessed people were about these like fake accounts and disruptors and. And again, it's the la- it's the language of sabotage and misdirection. But in every in every community, by the way, like you'll find them in like probably like the Cabbage Patch Kids <laughs> dolls community. Like ah, oh, saboteur. Yeah, exactly. But it, but it's interesting because those saboteurs, it's this like total um, anxiety about whether you can trust whether somebody's really genuinely saying what they believe, you know, or whether they're just pretending. And that is really interesting because because it's like oh my god, it's South Park always does everything brilliantly, but it's like um, like Team America, isn't it? Because like Fuck ultimately, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's like uh, you know they're all like the idea behind that is like you know the best saboteurs are actors. Yeah, he's <laughs> an actor, right? <laughs> right. I love so, I love those this movies. is the thing. And online, it's so much easier to be an actor, right? Because, like, being an actor, being a con man face-to-face with people is really hard. You can't, like, you know, it's really, really hard. But being a con man online is so much easier because you don't have to have all that facial feedback and all that stuff. How do people... So you can probably... Sorry, just as a tangent, how do people watch South Park without, uh, like, any sense of irony right now? I don't think they do. I, they have to because the show's still on, isn't it? <laughs> you think you think it's on? Yeah, but it is. It's super honest. It's the best best stuff on TV. It's still on, so like, it's like someone's watching it. Parody. 
Apparently, no one under a certain age, though, because I, I think the millennials are incapable of uh, like. Is this, Zoomers, is this maybe? The time, I don't know. It's like, is this the time that we like reboot the '90s and bring Beavis and Butthead back, just like in its raw form, like? <laughs> <laughs> Beavis. Oh, I hate to be Everyone, but, but you got to realize that the reason it worked is because it was like the first vulgar show, like really vulgar. And you were like, oh, wow, that's dumb. really vulgar. It, it's nothing but vulgar. Wow. And like, just should we bring that back, reintroduce that to the millennials and and then like just yeah, that, do the 90s again? Because that seemed to cure a lot of people. I'm pro doing the 90s again, but I'm not pro Beavis and Butthead. I never liked You can't it. do the it's 90s rubbish. though, Beavis and Butthead. I'm not sure oh. Beavis and Butthead really exported, you know, too well. Yeah, the, that's probably true. The the, the uh, lines I don't think didn't get I don't it. think you could have yeah, appreciated you guys the, fart and burp the cultural there. milieu that Beavis <laughs> brought to all of us. That's but. true. It was that was some high culture. You guys don't understand it there in the UK. One thing I, you know, throughout our conversation and other things we've been talking about, Josh and I, like the the thing I I, I wonder about, like. I guess a question for you is um, in England is the scope of debate between right and left. Um, I mean, here there is no right. Like you're not allowed to be right wing, quote unquote, whatever that is, because increasingly the only thing you're able to be is, you know, repetitive of the dominant narrative. And a lot of people misidentify what right wing even is because they're, they're just like, Right wing is now a catch-all for like double plus ungood or whatever. They literally demonize the word right wing. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's just no. T- to me, the biggest problem is the left lives in their own echo chamber with no feedback whatsoever, and so they just their descent into madness is is unabated because there's no sense yeah, but, of you know, like it's really balance. Important to, it's really important to see things from the other perspective, and you know, so I do. I try to see things from everybody's perspective, and I do try to kind of, like, put my mindset in another mindset. And I do that a lot, which is why I'm probably quite schizophrenic on certain things. But but um, I think there is a moral panic in the left because they genuinely, you know, it's it, it, it's this fear that the right wing is going to regress back to sort of these nationalistic forces that mm. brought us the Nazis, right? And there is no middle ground. But there is no nuance. The, the, the nonsense in that is that there's no nationalism without fascism. And that's a cartoon version of reality that the left is, like, incapable of, like, seeing through, well, right? only recently. You can't, only you can't recently. say the Pledge of Allegiance without being a Nazi. Then the problem is you. You know, it's like, it's... Uh, yeah, that's, that's a recent leftist thing. Like, they were, like, the leftists in every other country, nationalism tends to be pretty left-wing. Or it can well, be. I, it's not the, the, the it thing was is, in the United States with Bernie. Like when, the, the first time the right wing really ever had nationalism. When everything is insta fascism because it's not, you know, singing the international. I think we've lost a lot of depth, a lot of gradation of of, of hell, just political diversity. You know, there's different ways to. We, we, we don't have a left here that has to listen to anything but their own ideas. And that's the problem. But I think everyone, I think everyone is regressing into echo chambers. And I think, and, you know, Some of the except, there, except the echo chamber of the left is one that but, can't be avoided by other I, people. So people who are not leftists 
they are very familiar with what the left thinks. That, that's true, actually. And, and the left is not familiar with what the right thinks or even what people who are not of the left think because they live in a unipolar world where they control the entire spectrum of, of communication. And that's why we have things like, you know, books like What's the Matter with Kansas, where they they are so obtuse that they don't understand that some people in America might go to church. Like, or might, like, I mean, like, they can't get their heads around this. It's so unfamiliar to them. It's like, well, they must be going to church to to look at pictures of Hitler and plan to kill the Jews, right? That's what they do in church. Like, this is the level of lunacy we're dealing with. But I also I also think that there are lots of moderate people, and we, we lost, are. Uh oh. Oh, there we go. Okay. No, no, we just we just lost our monitors in our ears, so we couldn't hear you anymore. <laughs> okay, oh, sorry. sorry. What were you saying? So I was going to say I I also do think there are lots of moderate people, and that we are on all sides, kind of looking to confirm our own biases about the people we perceive as our enemies, and so and I. Look, overall, I completely agree that, like, woke culture has got out of control and there's a lot of, um, yeah, I completely agree that there's there's a sort of level of, of collective madness around the world in all sorts of areas from COVID, et cetera. And, but I want to always be cautious about falling into traps of, of being manipulated by others myself. And I think what, I, I guess where I worry... We are so obsessed with noting the hypocrisy or the annoyance of the other side. We're kind of missing the power in the room, the real elephant, which is the technocracy that we've created around us, which is ultimately controlling everybody. And that's, that's oh, yeah. where I <clears throat> no, want we have, to project. We have cocaine being mainlined into our brains daily by Facebook. Yeah, and it's the, it's the sort of, like, we lost democracy a while ago. It never, you know, the reality is that the... Technocracy is really, yeah, it's the one that's controlling all of us, and we sort of allowed that to happen, and that's what's scary is that the right was being sort of obsessed with, you know, I guess I don't want, I don't want to be disparaging because when I was, you know, I, I shift mindsets, so when I when I was looking at the left uh, at the right from the leftist perspective, I did I I, I was in that mind frame of mind of thinking oh, these people are just so naive and stupid and ignorant and they don't know half of it and blah 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 but then when when i crossed over to look at the other way i can totally see it from your point of view as well so um but what what i think both sides are missing is that they have a common enemy and that is the technocracy and if we just focused on that then maybe there would be more bridge building and less well, I, I don't that's actually, I mean, for me, it's like, it's not a question of being on the right, because that's not actually where I conceive of myself. <laughs> I saw this coming, it's, that's exactly it's, what I was it's the, the issue is that we're constantly bathed in nothing but um, a leftist narrative. And that, to me, polarity between, you know, left and right is an interesting concept, but the real problem is that the entire spectrum of ideas has been negated. That's what woke culture is. It's an echo chamber of solely the left. And they've taken the commanding heights of the universities. They've, they've destroyed the academy. They've destroyed entire disciplines. Now they're moving after the traditionally like science-based di- 
disciplines, biology, chemistry, physics. Well, Everything is be, being polluted well, by this nonsense, and it's not a question of needing to bring a right-wing perspective in. It's a question of being able to bring in any perspective that can be a counterweight against them, the left, when they are without balance. Right. Because the issue is that when there's no one can debate them because they control the language, then they go insane, and they have gone insane, and that insanity destroys things. They're going to burn the Library of Alexandria. They're going to burn it all, and we have to, in the entire of the rest of the spectrum of ideas, everyone needs to start fighting them, whether you're on the right, the middle, wherever you are, and even if you're on the left, you have to recognize that you've gone mad that you don't know what any other side, quote-unquote, thinks. Forget sides. You don't know what anyone else thinks because all you listen to is the ideas that your side has blessed and they have forbidden everyone else from talking, and that is bullshit. Yeah, I, I think but it's... I, sorry. No, I was just going to say, you know, I sympathize with that perspective, and I and I, I get where you're coming from, but I also I also think... You know, having watched the latest Adam Kirsch's uh, <laughs> series, I think it is, um, it's really important to also, you know, De- Dex you is giving me like, to... like eyes, like, well, who's Adam Curtis? He's, he's, oh, he's up here. Anyway. No. Oh, Adam Curtis. He's, he he's my, he's just like the best filmmaker ever. And um, I was going to say is that I just think it's really important in the spirit of, of what you're saying is that we ourselves, whoever you are, it's really important to consider every day that you might be wrong and to think about the other person's perspective and then to test it against your like immediate sort of principles or some other sort well, of measures I, I, of I, humanity I or whatever, do right? That, but I think the technocracy is not the only threat. I agree that the technocracy is a threat, um, but... I think the biggest problem is that if you're not exposed to contrary ideas at all, whether you have self-reflection or humility is irrelevant. If you're insulated from them so that you don't even know what any other people think, that's the path to an unexamined life. And that's what we're doing to a great number of people. And it's not a question of sides. It's a question of hypoxia of ideas. There are people who literally aren't exposed to anything but the narrative. But that's a function of how the information space is currently configured. And that's the problem, is that the the way the information space, it's not like a town hall. So if you would go to a town hall, you would see your opposition and you would be told in your, to your face, you know, what they think. Some if of your opposition isn't it human, a, it's algorithmic. That, well, that's your was, point, though, I think. Yeah. Is that, like, no, I, the, I, I know that. The, the construction of the algorithms are, in fact, the, the issue. with Because it's true. Like, we see everyone going just fucking nuts because facebook has put in front of them the fact that you know someone's going to ruin the internet tomorrow by destroying net neutrality and 99 percent of the people have no idea what that means yeah no and and the a b testing unto itself is a whole nother irrational component to this in that we we imagine uh these techno technocrats you know, with as puppeteers, you know, but sometimes it's literally just a response algorithm. Like what Josh was saying before about the first comment sort of defining the tone of the thread. Well, a lot of the times A-B testing, you know, the early people who respond to a web page, 
define the tone of the web page's development because as more people choose A, A is presented dynamically more than B, and then it's a feedback loop and it's a self-selection sure. loop. And yeah. some of yeah. what's happening, I mean, we saw that in the election, for instance. Like what, what, the, what you know, the Democrats specifically were horrified by when Trump won is they didn't realize that the algorithms that they thought they had control over actually worked just as well for the other side. And um, they turned out, I'm talking about 2016, um, they turned out a lot of, of people to vote by exposing them to self-produced videos by all these, you know, just non-campaign affiliated sources on YouTube. And when they did the postmortem on it, they realized, holy crap. And that's when they, you know, frankly decided that all the ideas that weren't theirs had to be scrubbed from YouTube. Right. <laughs> that's, that's not false. But I think there's also an element of curiosity in so much as, like, not... So in the, the way that the Internet is currently configured, only the curious will be, like, exposed to the other perspective because you have to have a curiosity to break out of your echo chamber to, to see the other argument, right? And so that is self-limiting in its own right because not everyone is curious and... Curiosity is um, it's it's worse than that because you literally have to know someone in real space because increasingly the search engines are 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 being structured in a way that a great number of topics that are outside of a certain perspective are not there anymore and it's not just that they're on page sixty they're they're literally not there in Google they're there on the internet. So you need to go into a network of people who will share the URI, yeah, URL, PDF with you. And that is increasingly, you know, that's a big part of this polarization is that, again, I, I still think that people outside the left are not confused by what the left believes because you can't right. avoid the signal. But everybody well, else's I, signal is being increasingly yeah. truncated. To play devil's advocate. Um, you you can't, though, when it comes to Google. This is a fact. This is not... I no, mean... no. When it comes to the left, not, you know, us, like, when I say us, like, <laughs> when when it comes to... Um, I'm trying to be balanced, right? So so when it, when it comes to the proposition that the right knows the arguments of the left better than vice versa, I think what is possibly lost is the legitimacy of the core legitimacy of some of their arguments and 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 not what what's happened the way i see it is more that the base idea that a lot of the base ideas the base base principles are not bad principles they're good principles but they've been sort of exaggerated to the point of absurdity and it's like that adage where like any anything too much of anything good is 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 bad and so you get this sort of overshooting um, of what is fundamentally like, a, like, you know, South Park captured this so well with PC principle, right? So, you know, he's fundamentally like, there's, in the later episodes, they show his humanity and his like, you know, he's not, he's not been, you know, he comes from a pure place. He's not being a dick because he's, he can't see it. Do you see what I mean? It's so, so, so the court, and I think we missed 
that on the other side. Well, I think I think that's I think that's a point though. Is that like was that the jock principle or am I am I no no I think PC principle different principle. I was like I don't remember him having that much depth. But but I I think I think is I think Isabel, you're right that 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 not all of these people are terrible people, right? And I think that that's it's I don't think that's the point. I think the point more though is that there is a narrative that is being constructed for on behalf of these people. And these people who are generally good people are getting all of their information from like John Oliver or CNN and they really legitimately believe that America is overrun with Nazis. And we know that because we see them do this. So it's yeah. not it's it's not that they well, don't have that they're not good people or they don't have anything legitimate to say. It's that for some reason in the last five or six years They've gone nuts. Yeah, but there's also, like, co-projection. And I do think it's, for the sake of rationality, it's important to not fall down the same trap. So it's important to continuously self-check and to see, you know, to check that you're getting your information from not just a single source as well. And it's important to read around and, and to be confronted with, you need to, like, dip your... You have to dip your sort of, you know, mind into into an environment where you are not comfortable. It's it's really di- like it. You know, this is where like getting triggered and all this language. Like, it, it is. It becomes real. Like when you are confronted or bullied by like people who see things very differently to you, just in a, you're doing it as an exercise to understand the other perspective. But it can be draining. And you might be told what's well, important to do that every every day. But after a while, it gets it gets draining. So you do want to just withdraw and you want to go into your own little safe space um, because sometimes you just can't handle it anymore. And, um, and I do wonder whether, um, you know, that is a phenomenon of the internet, I think, because, because it's, it's sort of people of different, like back in the day in the real world, like bricks and mortar, you did have different perspectives and communities, but that we tended to, to live around the same sort of mindset. I mean, the city changed everything, but by and large, I think there was more cohesiveness in in perspectives in a village than. Well, maybe not. Maybe I'm talking crap. I don't know anything. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna opt out of having an opinion on this. Yeah. actually. <laughs> no, I think that's fair. Um, well, I don't know that we have much else uh, for you. I think. Well, I wanted I want to ask you guys about Bitcoin. So yeah, let's do is, it. Uh, so, so what's your like? So, what's Elon Musk doing? Like, what is what is the big the I'm, big Elon well, trade? The big topic we were gonna talk about is a big umbrella here. Is just the legitification. It's the word we're coining of Bitcoin, and Musk factors into it. Uh, but you know, the, the, there's definitely something in the air right now, right? Whether it's Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan sort of changing their official tone, whether it's Tesla accepting Bitcoin. Um, there's other minor things like BitPay is now accepting Apple Pay, is now um, linked linking to Apple Pay and Google and Samsung Pay are coming soon. So there's like a, lo- a lowering of friction there, um, which yeah, I think yeah. is less important in the big picture than some of the you know, the JP Morgan or, you know, I mean, I, I tend to think that like a lot of these banks are coming into the space now, uh, after probably having spent years denigrating it and probably shoring up positions in it. 
<laughs> and I think we're going to find that out pretty quick that they have a fuck ton of Bitcoin. Yeah, he thinks Goldman is hodling like to no end. Yeah, and I, I also think that, uh, that, ta- that, that Musk is just doing what he does. He's uh, just a showman. Uh, and he likes to, I mean, I think, I think the thing is that Bitcoin kind of has reached a price down where like one Bitcoin equals one, like Tesla three or Tesla S. So it's a good time for him to come in. And frankly, I mean, if he's smart, he won't take the Bitcoin and hold it. He'll take the Bitcoin and, you know, sell it off for fiat right away. Um, and just leave his 1.5 billion position as, you know, the only risk. He would have been up 36% if he had done that, like between, uh, when they acquired it and when he announced it. Yeah. And what what do you make of the haters who are saying there's a contradiction with him supporting Bitcoin and wanting to do renewables and uh, well, I know, and save the planet? Well, you and I have talked about this. I don't think that Bitcoin is a... Tesla's run on coal already, <laughs> so... Well, I don't think, that, I don't think that, that Bitcoin is a fundamentally problematic... Uh, Bitcoin is a reflection of energy subsidies globally, Right. The mining price is a reflection of subsidies. So if you want to get mining to be done less, get rid of subsidies globally. It's not like Bitcoin mm. is Bitcoin is a net neutral. It, it, it just exists. I mean, what can you possibly say about well, it other than that it's going to continue? I've, I've had two ideas on the energy. Because um, everyone was talking about how outrageous it is, I feel compelled to argue the opposite. And the... Um, you see, this is like what they used to teach you in, in British universities. That you didn't really have a conviction about what you were arguing. You're just arguing the opposite for the sake of oratorical power, right? You, yeah. So you can just so that's the exercise that I often do. But anyway, the point is that um, I do wonder if the innovate the energy intensity of Bitcoin is a misdirection in so much as because of the transparency of Bitcoin in one way, it's very easy to make these calculations that like, oh, Bitcoin consumes as much energy as Argentina, whatever. But the reality is that like, if we were to calculate how much energy, say, iPhones take up or um, Google or nobody like talks about any other form of technology in the same I I mean, I heard today that, like, if if America calculated how much energy was consumed by its always-on devices in their home, it would be enough to power the Bitcoin network. I I don't know if that's true, but it wouldn't surprise me. It's not like – I'm not astounded when people say that Bitcoin takes up as much energy as, like, Venezuela. (laughs) Like, okay, good for us. I, I I bet an Elon Musk rocket launch does, too. It's not. It's not exactly a country filled with people having their lights on, you know. Um, yeah, but but more to the point is that we don't apply the same level of scrutiny to other other. Yeah, yeah, but but my levels, my right? point is that like being pro, like being anti Bitcoin or pro Bitcoin has nothing to do with the energy consumption. It's sort of like being anti Mount Saint Helen erupting. Like it, it, Bitcoin is. It's a thing that exists, and as as long as it continues to exist. Miners are going to mine where, to the point where marginal revenue equals marginal cost. That is the mechanism that is used for mining, and it's going to continue to be done because there's money there. So if you want to lessen the energy well, usage of Bitcoin, my, get rid of subsidies. But, well, my other idea is simply that I do wonder whether the energy intensity of Bitcoin is a feature, not a bug, because it is in a feature. some ways, yeah, in the sense that, um, you know, 
currently our approach to climate change is focused on prevention of carbon emissions and, and, and suppressing. It's very locked down. It's very suppress the, the, the demand and, and, and take people's good, goodies away from them. Yeah, and that this will solve the problem. We have to just expel less en energy. But with Bitcoin, as a result of that, you kind of get a sort of mispricing of real energy because real demand is being suppressed. There's like all the subsidization, yeah. all these penalties. So price signals themselves are completely messed up in energy markets as a result of that. Then here comes Bitcoin, which in a weird way is pure in the sense that it has very transparent energy needs and um, and it can price very. them in a sort of relative unit. And so it creates a sort of magnifying glass of, of transparency into what really is, you know, the real energy cost in the system. It's, it's but pure. it also creates a massive incentive to uh, find cheaper forms of energy. So that's true. Like it's the it's the counter argument of the ESG lobby, which is like the opposite of Greta. It's actually like accelerate, like burn more, make it more expensive, make energy more scarce, and then that creates the incentive to find an alternative that is. If Bitcoin were devoid of subsidies, it would be pure. If, if Bitcoin's demand that, was true, purely though. a function of, like, the, if the electricity it consumed was purely based on, for instance, the, the, the collective miners looking to, you know, produce until marginal revenue because marginal cost, then you could say, well, Bitcoin is pure. And all these other things we aren't comparing it to that use a lot of energy, some of those might be subsidized. And then it's a question of what does society want. But if you're – Bitcoin is just as dirty and just as, you know, tainted as anything else that, you know, uh, a legislature dictates has to exist and then, you know, prints fake money to pay for. Like it's subsidized by energy costs. It's just that the energy subsidies weren't designed to feed it. But it lives in a distorted Bi space Bitcoin, because it is living on subsidies, just like Tesla lives on subsidies. Well, it's, it's, Bitcoin, is, Bitcoin has an ideology, right? Like Bitcoin itself has an ideology, and that ideology is that uh, it exists wherever subsidies are. So, you know, it, it essentially says that these subsidies are, are – it, it, well, either way, you could say it, it says that subsidies are immoral – or it says that subsidies are highly moral and profitable. But countries are going to have to reassess the way that they do subsidies as a result of Bitcoin. And the mining, again, if you want mining to go down, get rid of subsidies. It's, it's really not difficult. And it, energy, the energy put into Bitcoin is the energy put into Bitcoin. It's, it's such a, an A is A sort of syllogism, right? It's not yeah, like but, Bitcoin but exists. Subsidies, subsidies are, I think, because, like, you know, the the ESG green lobby would argue against subsidies as well. They don't want energy to be subsidized. They right. want it to be, they want it to be penalized, right? It should be more expensive. Okay. Um, but they also want the carbon bubble to burst, but then make all the like energy companies bankrupt. So it's, that's a contradiction because if you want to make energy expensive, uh, you don't like it's, it becomes profitable to create the energy. Uh, but what you're doing with the subs, well, with the penalty structure is that you're just you're just using 
it's like a tax on, on the energy. Why yeah, is it so, so, so difficult to deny access to subsidies to, to miners? Because so many of these mining pools are concentrated. I mean, it would seem like an exercise where if states well, wanted to, we're at the they stage. could locate where these data centers uh, were. Because these aren't like no, no, no. generic we're, we're at the data stage. centers. We're at the sta- they are generic data centers. And we're at the stage right now. Where these these yeah. states and Miners, these countries mining rigs can't be used to run a, you know a database front end. No, they're, no, no, they're no. But they're, they're, my point is that they don't look any different than a data center. So, but like the the stage that we're at right now is that states, governments, local uh, countries, whatever, they're inviting miners in because they don't know what I know, and it's that Bitcoin mining is energy piracy. And, like, frankly, it it's an act of powers. war. Yeah. Like, if America right. should be like, yeah, we love Bitcoin mining in China. Yeah, we love Bitcoin uh, mining. What we do with everything else in, in Albania. We love Bitcoin mining in Georgia. You know, like, that's, that should be our position. And every other country, like, should be like, yeah, like, Russia, Putin should be like, we love Bitcoin mining yeah. in but North that's, Korea. That's what I meant. But that's why I meant it's pure, because it offsets the subsidy. Because Absolutely. Because it's like a parasite like a parasite on the um, on the subsidy, which is why it acts as a countermeasure to the subsidy. Correct, and, and that's so that's it, the thing. Like it, it forces. It's not that it's not that Bitcoin is it's not that Bitcoin is inefficient. It's that subsidies are inefficient, and Bitcoin is a perfect articulation in energy burning of how inefficient subsidies are. We should have a non lugar for Bitcoin, so that we take all the nuclear warheads that we've wasted an immense amount of energy and time to create and stored all the energy in. We should melt all of them. We should we should feed all the reactors. Set up just reactor farms for Bitcoin and. Get rid of the nukes. But, How's uh, that? Is that a is that a please everybody yeah. solution? Well, but here, here's the thing: the, the, the other part of the ideology of Bitcoin is that Bitcoin believes that it, need, it it's like a virus, like Isabella said, it wants to exist, and the way that it needs to exist is that it needs to plug holes in any place where it's at threat, and the places where Bitcoin is most threatened is where subsidies are. Or any place where there's cheap energy. Right, because that could let a group of new miners come and over... Or a state. Right. So, like, Bitcoin's most a threat wherever there is cheap energy. And that is the wonder of Bitcoin. So it shows up and it protects itself. And it's just like, in Africa, there are diamonds in the ground. Bitcoins are found in the ground wherever there are subsidies. But to me, it's like, I think that people have it wrong. It is, in fact, a... Uh, transformation of language here that you got to do where it's it's not that bitcoin is inefficient subsidies are inefficient bitcoin is a representation of the inefficiency of subsidies and subsidies have real world consequences in that bitcoin will show up and destroy your ability to have them cleanly well this is this is more i was coming to is that i feel like bitcoin creates the incentive yes to to actually pros- progress and develop new or- and better energy sources also to have a global price like honest pricing of energy consistent honest absolutely and i think that is um why i say it's pure because it it shines a light on the it kind of um offsets the subsidy uh sort of skew and that is very valuable in the sense that um you know a it creates the incentive for like innovation and 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 real progress on, and you do see innovation, amazing innovation in in the Bitcoin mining space when it comes to trying to find cheaper forms of energy. Um, and then you've got this sort of like weird, uh, ref, well, 
externality on the countries that are providing the subsidies, that it makes their subsidies unviable, which is also good, right? So well, states in America um, are experiencing the exact same thing. Bitcoin miners will show up. They'll invite them in. They'll be really excited. Then Bitcoin miners will eat up the entire subsidy, and all of a sudden the town's energy prices will go up, and they'll be like, what happened? Mm-hmm. Like we ran out of energy from Niagara because some dude showed up and ate it all with his machine that he plugged into the wall. And and your an- the answer, Dex, to your question about why they can't find them is because you can literally plug Bitcoin miners into your house power. Right, but the but don't the larger networks, um, you know, the m- larger pools pretty much center around like rack operations. I mean, are they really got like one guy has a miner in his house and it's one depends on where you are, but there are people that like will do rack operations. There's a guy up and I think it's Tallahassee who bought a Publix or like a grocery store Seriously? and yeah. And has the whole thing filled with miners. Okay. So, but like, are we at the point where, like, a person like me could mine? No, I don't. You'll never so. be at that. We've, we're less and less at that point. Yeah, that's that's my point. Yeah. Is that as we get further away from that era, m- the more I feel like the states could have a fighting chance in saying, "Dude, stop using," or just just adjusting the bill. Like, okay, this is your your Bitcoin mining thing. I, well, I was I was. We know your meter number, and guess what? Your here's your new kilowatt rate. We're gonna just back the subsidies out. I always thought that if you're gonna, if you want to have subsidies in a world with Bitcoin, what you ought to do is literally go back to like a paper rationing system where you literally hand a coupon out so that people could sell their coupons to miners if they want to. Right. And then, and then that way, yeah, but, like, if you want to pay your bill, I think Dex. But I think Dex has a point, doesn't he? he? His point is that this all works in principle until. The authorities decide to discriminate against Bitcoin miners, and they will track you down. Well, that's been my recommendation is that they should do that. They should do that. They should kick the miners out of their cities. They should kick the miners out of their towns and states. You should not want Bitcoin mining. And this is like Bitcoiners have gotten mad at me over the years for this because I've I've said this, and they think that, like, I'm anti-Bitcoin mining. And I'm like, I'm not anti-Bitcoin mining. I just recognize that Bitcoin mining is piracy. (laughs) It's, It's different. Okay. You, you so want to then, hit that pure then, state where Bitcoin demand is un, un, you know, stained by the, by any subsidy B- at Bitcoin all. Bitcoin has to be piracy. Like Bitcoin mining has to be piracy. The the alternative is that you end up with like, you know, people mining at negative cost, which might happen when banks need to protect Bitcoin. You know, that's what's interesting about yeah, all but, of this. But surely, like, if you discriminate against Bitcoin miners, subsidies still stay in place for everybody else. The Bitcoin mining operation no longer serves to counterbalance the subsidies at all. It's just discriminated against and has to find power that is cheaper than subsidies that are available to other people. Right. No, I, I agree. I think that states ought to discriminate against Bitcoin. I don't think that that's the worst thing you could do. Um, I know of a number of P- of states that have done that. Washington has tried to do it. And what has happened is uh, miners have moved in anyway, and they have black market operations. And the beauty of that is that once you get caught, if you're a Chinese miner and you've moved into Washington state, you don't give a shit and you leave. And, like, you're gone already because the money is just being made inside of a giant, like, shipping container. It's plugged into the in, into the uh, into someone's power. And uh, you're getting the value out of that as that's as that's happening, and your hope is that they don't find it in time to you know make sure that you pay for the shipping container, and then some. Mm-hmm. But like there's it's okay. just it's just so piracy. What, 
it, it's also interestingly um, falls upon a lot of economies that seem to be the targets historically. I'll put on my leftist hat for you. Um, targets of U.S. foreign policy. So Iran and and other petro-reliant uh, economies are very, I mean, the definition of subsidy by region is, is variable, right? A, a subsidy in an oil-rich state is actually free oil to the electric, electricity generating, you know, Cooperative. Do you know what, do you know what happened in Iran? So, largely, so if, by the way, if you were to want to target all of your sort of non-compliant third-world, you know, regimes, you would create something like Bitcoin what, in order to cause, you know, <laughs> although I don't think you could, grid, I don't think you could foresee it growing like that. But you're not wrong. What happened in Iran, well, as might, I understand, you might it, export a lot of what, what happened in Iran, as I understand hardware. it, is that well, the U.S. Uh, government doesn't. I mean, I, I like. There's people that do do it, right? Like the CIA didn't give ISIS any guns. I, I think. I think. Uh, that, why, why wouldn't they ship ant miners over to Iran to? I'm not in saying. Order I'm, not to saying tax the I'm not saying they wouldn't. But the the thing about Iran is that Iran is highly restrictive, and I think from what I understand happened in Iran is that a large portion of the load on the grid and the taking of the energy was a lot of it was like retail, like individuals who had found their own miners, brought them into the country, and plugged them into a wall. Or they found their own miners. I, I don't think that's yeah. the case. I think. But, you know, there's just a lot of miners that, that were, like, repurposing old miners, finding them and, like, getting them into the country and, uh, and, and basically, like, just plugging them into their walls and right, starting to mine right. Bitcoin. Or taking uh, jumper cables and clipping right onto the transmission it, well, exactly though like the that's way they do that's it. the thing like the, the bitcoin is somewhat of a democratizing force and like if you think about it if you let's say that you were a venezuelan and you wanted to leave venezuela what you could do is you could get enough bitcoin miners into your country to suck up all of the money that you possibly could in your house over the course of a month have it pay you whatever that is in Bitcoin. It's probably not much because your, your money's not yeah. worth much anyway. And then you skip out on your, your bill to the electrical company and you have your Bitcoins in a Trezor or someone in America. Or you just get into Herbalife, which is the other way. That's they, what they've been doing too is yeah. they've been exporting Speaking values Speaking of Herbalife. other money yeah. laundering but Bitcoin, But these, these are the sorts of things that can happen. And I find that really interesting. And I, I do think you're right, Isabella. Bitcoin is sort of that pure value. Hmm. Yeah. That's just something that I was doing. I was just my last question. I guess I've got to go because it's late. Um, <laughs> the um, what? See, one of the re so we're talking about institutionalization and 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 sort of uh, Bitcoin being normalized. But like, I have this feeling that one of the reasons it's being institutionalized is because there is a feeling that it's under control now. It's been regulated, and that and it certainly. Um, I won't mention who, but someone I know was trying to open a wallet, oh, yeah. and you know the, the 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 you know the song and dance you have to do to get like an account at any of the sort of major exchanges. It's like harder than getting a conventional trading account or whatever. So yeah, there is there is so much scrutiny and and money laundering uh, sort of yeah regulation and KYC and all that stuff. So um, and that now um, you can still sort of send your exchange bitcoins to your free wallet right but i'm wondering if that when that if if the control gets so intensive that you can't do that and you can't have that sort of bridge between the free wallet and the 
the regulated Bitcoin. What's going to happen then? Because that's my concern, is that you will get stigmatization of free wallet coins. And then that point, at that point, Bitcoin becomes sort of, it doesn't really matter that it's being um, legitimized because it's it's been absorbed like Borg into the core collective. Well, I actually think system. I actually think that's extremely astute because, like, I think this week that Mastercard has been discussing uh, taking Bitcoin. I th- quote is 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 what I read. Mastercard and Visa are discussing yeah. taking Bitcoin. Well, if you think about what that really means, what that means is that Mastercard and Visa are going to allow you to pay from whatever wallet you're paying for into their wallet, right? And then mm-hmm. my guess is that what MasterCard and Visa will do is they'll probably release a wallet that you can fund yourself with Bitcoin, right? So what that means is that MasterCard and Visa are going to have this giant network of Bitcoins that that you have in their system, and they're going to move them around in the database, but they're not going to actually ever do anything in the blockchain. So mm-hmm. when people talk... Uh, right. Yeah. When yeah. people talk about things like they say MasterCard and Visa do a trillion billion transactions a second, Bitcoin can only do seven. What nobody ever realized when they said that stupidly is that MasterCard and Visa could literally just use the exact same database elements to hold the Bitcoin and do just as many blockchain transactions as any Visa transaction or MasterCard transaction ever just by basically moving the Bitcoin around in their own database and never telling the blockchain when Bitcoins move until you export them out. The interesting effect, I think, of this is like the institutional comings in is that you're probably going to end up with a lot of Bitcoins in MasterCard and Visa's network. So I think you're right that there's potential for like... What I see happening is that Bitcoin evolves into a collateral system rather than a payment system. Yeah, I think that's not false. I think that's absolutely possible. And then actually where, you know, the problem then becomes the dark stuff that's outside of the core system. So you've got the collateral, which has been like KYC, it's all fantastic and it's backing this like financial, the secondary layers as, you know, all the kind of because what you're saying about MasterCard is, sounds to me like what um, Lightning were trying to do basically and that's what, that's no, no, it's, my it's, critique what, I'm des- just, what I'm describing is what, what Coinbase no, no, I, currently I, does. Right? I, I, I know exactly, yeah, yeah. Because they've got their own ledger and like centralized ledger which I, absolutely, I get it, but but also um, it's about layering and, and it's about sort of uh, minimizing the amount of transactions of the core collateral. Right. You just don't I, need to do that. I, I, um, I share but, Isabella's concerns, and I think that the key thing here is what what MasterCard and others are trying to do is refi. They're trying to reestablish centralized, you know, control, not to defi, yeah. right? CFI. They want to centralize finance, and they want to prevent the disintermediation of their overpriced networks of payment. The question is, is what comparative advantage do they bring here? Right? For a long time, like banks, you know. It, Classically, banks had vaults, they had rail cars, they had stagecoaches, they had things that helped really the core banking functions were actually things they were good at, the transport and safe storage and physical control of money. You know, credit cards came of an age when, like, it took days to clear checks and they basically fronted a whole lot of liquidity to people. Okay, these are all great things. But now we've moved to a stage where crypto can do things that they can't do. Banks don't have core expertise in in cryptography 
or in info, in information security. Like they don't have infosec. They got to buy it. They don't have cryptography. They got to buy it. So the question is, is on the long timeline, they all come in here to basically deal with the threat. Does that mean cryptography goes away? Does that mean Bitcoin goes away? I think there's a comparative advantage no, in, it, the what alt, happens. In, in the DeFi space that I don't think it's mature enough. But I think the question will continually be asked because the legacy financial institutions it, don't bring I, any. It's pretty any, mature, man. Like, the, the, I'll tell you what's going to happen, and it's already what's happened. Like, in stocks, we have these companies that hold the actual paper documents, right? Well, DTCC. That's what I'm talking about. Exactly. It's like well, we yeah. we have that in Bitcoin. You, you know, it's BitGo is is one of those examples, and there's a couple of others, and there's a couple of banks that are trying to set up their own as well. And basically, they just do absurd amounts of security. Uh, I, I don't know if they run Electrum or something like that, but they're they're very like they're insured, they're backed. You know, they basically hold the paper equivalent of Bitcoin. And so we have we have already begun to see the the reemergence of a system that looks exactly like the old system but with people with a new kind of expertise leading the way and i guarantee you if like wells fargo gets into this or fidelity gets into this they're going to end up setting up a big a bitgo account they're going to end up send you know yeah, right, but the I, talent's going to come from think, outside of their absolutely. institutions is my point and i'm not but, saying uh, when i say I, immature I, 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 I don't mean that it can't it's not i Sophisticated. So I mean, sure there's more I think to come. Banks have very sophisticated in-house cryptographers. No, no, but they don't create. They're not creating these things. They're buying the talent. Is my point. They're 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 outsourcing well, all. Like I don't think no, I don't think Goldman stacks. There's a lot of in-house. They're not writing. There, there is. There's. They are. What, they what are. They have crypto lots project of, has come out of the, what, what yeah, mathematician is working for. Like, 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 let me restate my point because I don't want to be, con- I don't want you to be confused with what I'm saying. I'm not saying that banks don't have smart people working for them. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that banks, as an industry, you know, that the, their their whole com- their whole setup is vestigial at this point to where we're going potentially. I, I personally am not a, a Bitcoin maximalist or a crypto purist. I'm just saying that the the fundamentals of cryptography. The the cutting edge of cryptography lives outside of the banking sector. Anything they bring in is going to be a cost to them. They're not bringing the you know the the cutting edge out of their operations, well, my, frankly, or even their R and D departments. Maybe do, do financial institutions not, even have R and D departments? Not, you know, that that's what I'm saying. Do. It's not. And they do though. They have like incubators and all sorts and like the I don't. I I have to um, push back against that just because I think it's 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 kind of missing the point, which is banks are just going to use Bitcoin as core collateral, right? And that is, and then they will maintain their layered services above it, and that's all that matters. Yeah, they'll just lightning their way around it, like well, what Josh was saying. Well, this, they just won't net out the transaction. My, my theory on my theory on yeah, banks but that's, but has... that's, bank, that's core banking. Banking yeah. is all about netting that is precisely what banks do that's like effectively you know all you're doing is trans if and when bitcoin becomes institutionalized to that level right. you just see the bank the bitcoin becomes part of the balance sheet that right. is effectively the new the new treasury it's the new 
Or, it's the new core. But they're going to fight like that with the, until they, the they variants. Won't. They won't. Can, the uh, variants is, has to go down no, 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 before no, no, no. they. Not might, at all. No, they might not fight it because it might come organically. This is what I've what I've always said about banks. Very simply, is that banks were around before Federal Reserves. They have no loyalty to currencies. Yeah. The the thing yeah, that absolutely. banks do is they hold on to things. They're good at holding on to yeah. gold and mountains. They're good at holding on to paperwork and certificates. They're good at paying out on bearer bonds. Um, they're good at holding bearer bonds and making them. And they're going to love, and they do love Bitcoin. And they're pretend, the, the pretense that they don't, which is what everyone has thought for all this time, Bitcoiners thought they were getting away from banks. Bitcoiners have these theories about how, like, Bitcoin's going to stop war. My que- It's the same thing. My question to them, well, in a world where North Korea saw the merit of Bitcoin before any other country and has the most Bitcoin, explain to me how war stops. Likewise with banks. If, if Bitcoin is just value, regardless of the expertise involved, as yeah, those expertise, yeah, like they're going to just hold Bitcoin and they're going to profit from the holding of it. Because that's what they're good at. And that's their business. And also expertise is, um, is a moving thing. It, it, you can evolve and develop expertise in-house. And know-how isn't, you know, a finite amount of people. It's like with China. You know, China didn't have any in-house, you know, innovation experts. But then they stole everybody else's tech. That's true. And then, um, but, now they're div- but now we're at the point where China has its own homegrown, like, science scientists and technologists who are equal to, um, you know, perhaps they think differently in different perspectives, but like, but they are very, you know, adept and, and, and can compete. So that's just a moving, you know, it won't, it, they might not have the in-house expertise immediately, but they, they will develop it. And I don't think it matters because I think the main proposition here is that it becomes collateral and all the other bank systems maintain themselves. They just, they just lay it on top of the core collateral, which is effectively what that does is that it just displaces bank a central bank money. It like the well not even central bank a central bank but, but I would well, say are they going to introduce a fee structure more similar to like where they they had it in the past cuz what I'm what I'm saying is like you know so mastercard and visa have been pressed downward i mean i still don't understand how american express supports the level of rates they get but they do um but you know uh, Anywhere from three percent, PayPal's three percent, Amex is three percent. At retail, Mastercard and Visa are like closer to one point six. Um, if you have a good deal, you can get it lower. But um, are you saying basically that the banking system is going to stop the compression? I mean, like Apple Pay is way lower than one percent. So if they, if the but banking Apple system Pay, welcomes, that's, that's a misnomer. That's that, that's 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 wrong to, because Apple Pay. Like, if you think Apple Pay is giving proper, like, you know, you don't think it's subsidizing, like, th- these fees are not comparable. Like, Apple Pay is... is uh, they piggyback, also, I understand, um, but, like... like but wait, wait a sec. I, I think there's a, a misunderstanding, me, though, because I don't think that, like, Bitcoin is going to be loved by banks because it's going to be, like, cash or, like, credit card transaction-type money. I think no, the way... I think they're, I think they're going to like it's it because it sits there like gold. Exactly. It's collateral. That's basically, that's what I'm saying. It's not going to be, it, they'll maintain their own systems for transactions. Like, I think you can matter. do that. It's yeah. Top, I think that netting is going to be easy if it's all bank, BitGo. Yeah. But but then it's we're a, talking about an asset that no one ever spends. 
Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying that it like no. that because to me the evolution of like payment system compression of of so like the way the yeah, vig has gone that down is... over time has been through innovation, that... and to me the innovation has no. come. I mean, innovation has come. Like we we have sure. had the compression of rates but over it, time. But it, it but it ha- but it isn't it isn't it isn't because it's all like these are prices that are relative and everything in relative world of money pricing is not a real price it's, it's not a price that's based on a on a like energy cost it's based on like a a flow problem or a liquidity problem it's 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 it's, it's a zero-sum game most of the time and and what i'm trying to say is that i think like all you're doing ultimately is um you know like back in the day like the city of london was a square mile, right? Why was it a square mile? It was a square mile because all the clearing banks that basically, had, like, there was different arms. So you had regional banks, and then regional banks would then clear with their set with their banks in the city of London, and then the city of London banks would, within a 24-hour cycle, clear amongst themselves. Right. And they had like all, all the transactions they would net out because it was better than like sending a couriers. But the reason it was a square mile was because of at the end of the day, they would net everything out. They'd meet in the middle, and they would. Um, it was as far as like a, a courier go, right? And then they would net everything out, and they wouldn't have to move all the collateral. They would just move the differentials, and that's all that mattered. And that's the legacy system that created the RTGS system that we now have. One of the big issues I have is actually that RTGS is a gross is a growth system, whereas netting is actually very useful. It just has different sort of pest at risk, whereas RTGS doesn't. But RTGS has a sort of resilience to it, supposedly, you know, but it turns out it's an illusion and that RTGS actually doesn't have, it, it, it has a liquidity issue of its own which based on overnight uh, daylight reserves. But anyway, that's, that's besides the point. But if you replace the core RTGS system in the central bank with a Bitcoin system, for simply like clearing those marginal differentials, then you you don't need to have every single transaction in the world going through Bitcoin. It's anchored to Bitcoin, and that's all that matters. It just nets. Yeah, I mean that's what I said before. Is like you, you don't have to do the the blockchain transaction at all. You just keep a ledger off of your own, right. and then you know quarterly or weekly or whenever you have to. You have a big, di- you know, you have a big differential to to, re- to rectify. You have to go buy some bitcoins. You have to dump sure, some sure. bitcoins. But there, there's happens. all there, there's just, again to to the question though earlier. But like everyone makes their own lightning network. Is no, what no, I it's said. not lightning. It's that there's all <laughs> no, sorts like, of there's analogous, all sorts of solutions. Like you know, like for example, Liquid uh, is something like this. It can be anything. Anyone can make their own yeah. proprietary system. So Coinbase, like Coinbase does it. Yeah, all, all these companies do every, it. Like everyone databases. does their own mm-hmm. centralized system. It really doesn't matter. Let, then, like, I can have an account at Coinbase and do my own centralized system. Correct. It's layers and layers. It's like a giant pyramid, and at the top lies, you know, Bitcoin, and everything else layers down and out. And that's but the only difference is that you can't manufacture Mickey Mouse Bitcoins because there is only one Bitcoin. You can't replicate it. Right. But actually, you can't. But that's a different. But, but you know, <laughs> it's like a, it would be like it would be like a tether Bitcoin, right? There would be a tether Bitcoin. So rather God than forbid. tether tracking the dollar, it would be like tether that tracks Bitcoin, right? Yeah. At that point, because there's always a replication. That's the euro dollar um, argument that I apply. But anyway, I'm I'm 
Boring well, you guys too, no, 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 you're not boring me, but Isabel, we'll let you go. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about American things here for a little bit, and then we'll cut. The, we'll be done. Okay. <laughs> we have secret okay. American okay. talk. It's a pleasure to talking with you. I'm glad to have met you. Okay, well, it was a real pleasure, and uh, don't make me sound stupid. Oh, you know that I don't ever <laughs> cut anything. <laughs> or uncut or, 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 or twist, you know. We saw, I mean, you can't sound stupid here because I'm I'm on the show, so it's like parking a Pinto next to a Ferrari. <laughs> okay. Well, if anyone's still with us at this point, um... well, Isabella, nobody listens to the show anyway, so you don't ever have to answer like worry about like getting canceled or anything. <laughs> okay. All right. You have a good know. night. Like I said, you never know what goes viral. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Good night. Cheers. All right. Take care. Bye. Love her. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking oh. of legacy technology, yeah, dude, that phone is great. I have a well. I've 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 come to. I was talking. I was actually talking to Isabella about this today. I have a three phone system. Uh, phone one is uh, like your corporate phone, which I don't actually have. But like phone one would be your corporate phone. Phone two is your personal phone, which you basically destroy and only make it so it can call things, no apps. Phone three is a phone that has no SIM card. And is just like only only Wi-Fi, like your iPod Touch or whatever yeah. type device. And uh, phone one and three go in a Faraday cage, and phone two gets on a VPN. Right. And then and then you know you have a little well, satchel of phones. Phone three doesn't need to be in a Faraday. It doesn't even have a cell connection. Well, you right? don't want it connecting to the cell when you don't want it, or like a Wi-Fi when you don't want it to. So right, for right. like for example, phone three on me. I have it connect to my uh, if well, if I have my other act, phone. You're actually why not just have all these as just uh, you know some version of a Twilio number. Have one phone. Well, because you want apps. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like I needed I needed access to apps to do that. So like I had to get this phone because this is the app phone. Right. But this phone only connects to the Wi-Fi. Otherwise, it's like on you know in a Faraday cage. You know I do this because the government wants me. And they, oh, they park <laughs> they park outside my house in vans. Well, they do that anyway. I, I can't tell you how many libertarians have told me the story of like the time they went to an airport and uh, they had a van chase them. And they're like, it was definitely a government agent. You're like, no, 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 man. I mean, you know, <laughs> I think people overestimate the value of government agents. Like, they're basically bureaucrats, and it's they're not as scary as people think. Like you, especially if you haven't done anything, and then you're interacting with them, it's a waste of your time. It's not like I got a subpoena for something once, and the 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 government agent that subpoenaed me, and this is for something like unrelated to me. It was for you know to to like give info about somebody else. He emailed the subpoena to me. Which isn't valid. Service, and I was, but. yeah, I was like, that's, uh, so I messaged him back. I'm like, this, I'm not giving you anything. This is not Do a Do your job. Get his, get his <laughs> yeah. process server over here. So then, so then they. they like, really? Yeah. So, so like then he shows up like a week later and hands me a subpoena and I look at it. It's a valid subpoena, but it doesn't have a date on it that it has to be like processed by. So I'm like, okay. So. Thanks, you know, bro. Put that right five, on my desk. Five months later, he's like, "Where, where's the stuff that I asked for?" And I'm like, "Oh, there's no date on the, you know, the subpoena to be processed by." So, like, you know, these government agents don't even know the laws under which they themselves are operating. Very true. And they they suck at it. They suck at their jobs. 
for the most Listen, part. Listen, our laws don't, make, to our laws don't like, make sense. There, yeah. there are things written by the assistants to the legislators who went out to lunch with a lobbyist, and then the lawyers argue over what they mean. It's We live in a Kafkaesque bunch of nonsense. I, mean, I, I do think it's funny. About, like, I'm, I'm a little amazed at the, the, like, the level of deference that people give to government employees. Like, I admire someone who's doing a job um, that is like, you know, you know, an honorable job. They're doing something good. They're, let's say, a government employee. They're they're working really hard every day to, like, make America better. I'm all about that. But then we have these, like, functionaries who just clearly are wastes of space. And the deference people give them just because they work for the government. The TSA. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just astounding. Like, I'm amazed that there aren't people who, like, find those people's email addresses and just don't, you know, like, send them dick pics every day. We're all just trying to get around the sun one more time. That's, that's I mean, what that's you'd really think. it. That's what I'm saying. But I would just think that there'd be people that would just be, like, sent, like, as a matter of project, sending dick, dick pics to government uh, employees that are, like, low level and, you know, non, non-interesting. <laughs> but nobody does it. Well, they can make your, you know, make that your that's, mission, that's how you get on a, a, you know, you get a lean on your property. You, like, uh, sir, uh, you're gonna have to take you off this airplane. You're the, you're the dick pic, dick pic bandit. We could be close to, um, to you reframing that analysis, though, given how much of this like sick the government on everybody stuff is getting normalized. Well, what do you mean? Um, just how you mean the they, fact that I admire any government employees, or yeah, or? I think you'll you'll rethink that in that like when we see how the entire system of government is going to just be just well, I, brought I, upon you know like sure they want to keep U.S. senators off of airplanes because they voted yeah, it's, it's to absurd. investigate irregularities, which is I, uh, their right and even their frankly obligation under law. Sure, is. but I, I I guess I would say that like I know people in the government who are. Working as unpartisanly and like in in a way that you know their goal is to make America great and to do better things. Um, a good example, you know, like Donald Trump. <laughs> you, I, I wasn't aware that you knew him. I don't. Um, no, but there, I, I, I do know people that are watch, like that. And I, I, I admire it, that. I we admire don't, we're that. not very far. No, we, we should could go, drive we should go up hang to out Mar-a-Lago. It's, pro- like, it's like a half an hour. All right. I'll, I'll uh, wear in a shirt that, that's that Chinese coal, dissident. coal-burning car that you drive. It is a coal-burning car, yeah. Actually, here it's an... It's not. It's a uranium. Well, down here it's... Down here it's, it's a uranium-burning uh, car. My, my car runs on nuke. Yep. Runs, I should get that as a bumper sticker. Runs on mox. By the way, for those... Uh, that... Our nuclear uh, electric plant is apparently the only place in the world, I guess, that has, like, freshwater crocodiles. Or I guess Florida, like, the as a region. The one down in um, uh, south of Miami. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess Florida's, like, the only place that has um, both freshwater and uh, crocodiles and alligators. Correct. Which blew my mind. Crocodiles are pretty rare here. Um, and then at some point they discovered, uh, is it Turkey Point? Turkey or, Point, that's it. Um is that's the one up in like you know Key Largo, basically? I think or so. Yeah. And uh, nuclear reactors heat water, and yeah. they they dispel the water, and 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 the crocodiles like the warm water, and they just really, really, really bred a lot, right? <laughs> and they don't have you know crocodiles don't tend to have a lot of predators in ex- that nuclear in that nuclear exposed and, water. And they're actually, so they have like eighteen legs, and they're bigger than usual. Well, I, I always you know you think I don't know who wins the alligator crocodile war, you know, ninja crocodiles. But apparently the, the alligators are just like yeah, whatever. 
peace and love. Yeah, we can all get shit. along. Yeah. They, they don't really fight. They're that like guy looks whatever. Alike. That looks like me a little. Yeah. They're like, yeah, it's all good. There's plenty of fish here. <laughs> the crocs moved in. There goes the neighborhood. I mean, it's Florida Bay. There's a lot of fish, right? So there's not really a big competitive yeah, thing, true. and they're just breeding like crazy. So That's true. Everybody's good. Look, there goes the neighborhood. The crocs moved in. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a good cartoon, actually. All right, everybody. I think that's everything. Uh, we, have, we, we were going to talk about some Biden tax rates, but it's getting late. So we'll do that maybe yeah, next we're week. Yeah, we're fucked, I think, is the... Yeah, well, I'll talk to you about these later because I think that this is interesting, at least for you and me. But uh, if you enjoyed this episode, go over to iTunes and give us one star. Uh, if you liked it, fuck you. Um, oh, no, if, if you didn't like the show, then fuck you. I, I said that wrong. Uh, I don't care. Don't listen again. You're stupid. And with that, this is John's chunking up the deuce of the South, the masses, and it go in peace. And Catherine, pray for us. <laughs>